Good morning and welcome to Tip Today this Thursday morning. Coming up on today's show, heartache for Luke Littler last night, but we look at how a 16-year-old has created a resurgence in the popularity of darts. A fire at the old primary school in Feathered. We'll have more on that uh, developing story throughout the morning. The Jeffrey Epstein list is revealed, but what now for the hundreds of high-profile names involved? More of our listeners share their concerns on overcrowding in our hospitals. Electric vehicle sales in Tipperary trail behind the national trend. We'll find out why. Better sleep habits for 2024. We'll speak to a sleep expert later on this morning. We find out more as well about For After I've Gone, an amazing initiative born from a woman dealing with a devastating diagnosis. Muriel Cuddy will be live in studio with us to discuss becoming healthy and well for 2024. We'll have a taste of this week's Down Your Way and we'll have the latest farming news as well with the Farmer's Journal. So a busy three hours to come between now and 12 o'clock today and as always we'd be delighted to hear from you. The phone lines are open 1800-938-007 or you can text or WhatsApp 83 311 Now it wasn't to be for the 16-year-old dart sensation Luke Littler last night. He was beaten by Luke Humphreys in the highly anticipated final at Ali Pali last night in a seven sets to four showdown. Sports broadcaster Stevie O'Donnell joins me on the line now. Stevie, good morning. Hi, good morning. How are you? I'm good, Stevie. Happy New Year, first of all. Good to talk to you today. And many happy returns. Good to hear from you. And tell me, like I have to say, and I'm ashamed to say it, Stevie, I was waiting for that match all day yesterday and I fell asleep at the fifth set and woke up when it was all over. <laughs> I was disgusted, but it was a great game, wasn't it? It was over and back for the first four or five sets. It was, but let's be honest, I don't think that Luke Littler started as good as he wanted to start. I think both players were extremely tense. I think they were a bit nervous. Luke Humphreys brought huge experience obviously into the game even though it was his first world championship but he had a lot of other world titles won whether it be Met Fair uh, different series different competitions but to win the big one and to take away the cheque of £500,000 sterling yeah. was phenomenal but for a young 16 year old it was even more so Incredible. interesting to see that how did he reach even the final? You'd be kind of asking, I won't say how did he reach it, but what I mean by that is a lot of people didn't expect him to reach the final. Mm. And it's just down to the skill that the young lad has. The way he can hold his nerve at yeah. 16 years of age, I mean, that's phenomenal. Yeah, because he, he's a very strategic player. We saw that throughout the WDC in the semi-final. The last play or the, the, the last start he was throwing, he should have got a double, but he went for uh, the single instead and then waited for the next round for the double. He, like how he can be so patient. Yeah, that's, that's what a lot of good players will do. They'll have a look first of all and they'll see how far back are their opponents. If their opponent is not on the finish, well, then they'll play the board. Yeah. And what I mean by that is that they, they feel that they have time to play the board, but that's down to one word, confidence. Mm. Because what I noticed as well last night, I was actually with a good friend of mine, John O'Brien from Mobiz in Kilwas, and we were just studying the game as it went along. And what I noticed was he's kind of, this is um, the young 16-year-old from Warrington now, uh, Luke, he... He kind of fears his dart to the left. Yeah. He's floating the dart more than throwing the dart. So the dart, what I mean by that is that 
if you look at the comparisons of the two of them, of the two players last night, I mean, Luke Humphreys is a very direct player. Stands dead straight and throws direct. Straight down, he knows what his target is. He knows exactly where he's thrown it. And if you notice, all three dots will follow. One, two, three, they'll all follow in the same direction. But what I noticed in with, with uh, the young lad is that, Lothar, is that he's kind of leaning, leaning a bit to the right but thrown to the left. And that tells me that you're going to, the majority of the time it'll work for you because it all depends on your own skill. And every player have their own style. They have their own way of throwing. But guaranteed this guy will improve. Yeah, because he, he was having some problems with his double eights and his double sixteens, wasn't he? As well, well? That, that's exactly what I mean by veering to the left. Yeah. If you're if you're thrown to the left side of the board, regardless whether it's five, twelve, fourteen, eleven, down onto eight, sixteen or seven, you're veering to the left. Well that means then you're veering away from the double rather than towards the double. Mm. So to get to the into the double, you need to be very, very close to the cable, as we call it, to the wire itself. But did you notice then on the right-hand side of the board, he found the doubles a lot easier because he was wearing the dirt from the outside in. Yeah. So, what I mean, like last night, if you look at I was kind of glad in a way that, you know, it was a great experience for him to get to the final. But as a 16-year-old, would he have been able to handle winning? Yeah, do, do and yeah, I, I really do because, like, I played enough in the mid 80s, and the last time I played was in 1987 after winning the area of the news of the world. And I just said to myself back then, like, if that wasn't for me because I wasn't a drinking person. Yeah. And I'm not saying that Luke is a drinking person, don't get me wrong. But what I mean by that is there was different culture back then. Yeah. Whereas now, they can play in clubs. They don't have to go to a focus bus. They can play in clubs that are away from that uh, scene. But the experience that he will get from playing in front of a massive crowd in the Alexandra Palace in London last night, that will stand to him. I'm not so sure if he won it. Mentally, would he be able to handle the fame? He's only 16. Mm, he is very you know, young. There's a lot to think about there. It's easy for people sitting on the ditch like any of us and just say, yeah. oh yeah, it'd be great for him to win. But I think he will gain more experience from getting to the final and the huge crowd in the Alley Pally, as is known locally, or known all over, yeah. really. But the atmosphere alone, the way he was able to soak up that atmosphere, I'll tell you one thing, he's a special young lad and he will win a lot of world titles. Did you see the video that they were showing, uh, Stevie, of when he was a toddler and he was throwing the magnetic darts at the board? Like, his throw <laughs> as a toddler was incredible. Yeah, but you see, that's where it all started. Yeah. That's where it all started. And he was oozing with confidence. Yeah, he was. You know, and even, I remember, I think it was last year when he won the World Youth um, title, I remember he was just up on the stage and you could see that there was an air of confidence within him. There was a, He was just thrown with massive, massive confidence. And he's a guy for the big stage. He's definitely a guy for that. But the, the experience, again, is what it comes down to. Mm. What kind of experience did he gain from last year's youths? Well, 
I mean, to be playing in front of a huge crowd in the Ali Pally yeah. up on the stage, that stood to him. But just like we have a young lad here in Boris Ikea, you know, with Dylan Slevin, and he was knocked out in the first round. Yeah. But I think for even Dylan here in Tipperary, I know he's a different type of chore, left-hand chore, compared to the young lad there last night, to Luke. But uh, for Dylan, it's going to be a huge experience for him. Well, it was a huge experience, but it's going to be a huge learning curve yeah. for him as well. So, I mean, if you want to play at the highest level, you have to play in front of a huge crowd and see, are you able to bottle the pressure? Yeah. And for the likes of Dylan Slevin, um, Stevie, the fact that he's a left-hand thrower, does that make it more difficult or does it make any difference? No, because, like in fairness, I played with a left-hand thrower myself many years ago and a guy just became famous for his uh, commentary, F and Eddie. Yes, Eddie Maroon. of course, yeah. And Eddie, Eddie was a left-hand was he? thrower. Yeah, he was a left-hand thrower and we played in got a few Munster finals, All-Ireland semi-finals with Tip in the mid-80s and Eddie Morrissey and a few of them. But Eddie Maroney was a left-hand thrower. It depends on your position. Right. If you stand more to the left, you're making it more difficult. If you stand more to the right, a little bit easier because you just have to be in the position right on the centre, really. I think anyhow to get the best position. And what I noticed last night is with... Luke Humphreys, if you study his position from where he was thrown, he was thrown right from the, the centre. Whereas the other lad, even though Luke Littner, right, OK, he was semi-central, but again, he was veering over body-wise to the yeah. right to throw more to the left. So I just noticed last night, compared to other nights, we say that uh, he didn't settle as quick as he thought he would. And he wanted a very good start. No, in fairness, Low Humphreys wanted a good start as well. Mm. But I think both of them were trying to cancel each other out. Both of them were trying to just settle in early. But it was a pretty good game of darts in the end when they finished 7-4. I mean, Lickner, he had a good he had a good chance on double two there at one yeah. stage if he got it. But unfortunately, that one just... It left him down, didn't it? It did. Uh, how much does the crowd play into it then, Stevie? Because I, I think it's fair to say the crowd were very much behind Luke Littler yesterday. Would that have affected Luke Humphrey's play in terms of, of, of kind of encouraging him maybe or motivating him to, to, to do better so that the crowd might get behind him? Or do players take any notice, really, of how the crowd is? We can say the, the players don't take any notice because I can only speak from my own experience yeah. way, way back. Now, the crowd had to be completely silent when we were playing. That's the difference. Wow. I'd say that's harder, is it? It, it is. Yeah. It is. Because you'd hear, a, you could hear a pin drop on the yeah. floor. And I used to remember playing in a place down in Cork in Munster Finals or whatever. And it was a big hotel, the Metropole Hotel. And I can still remember on stage, there could be four or 500 people. There wasn't big following back then. But can you imagine... 10 or 12 or 15,000 people behind you and they've been completely silent. Oh I would prefer it to be now yeah. where the crowd are with you. There's a wonderful, wonderful atmosphere now. But going back to your question, yeah, I think there there was a lot of added pressure on the shoulders of mm. Littner last night Yeah, because there was a lot of expectation from the crowd. We could have the youngest world champion at 16 years of age. He won't be 17 or two weeks' time. Amazing. So, I think that there was a lot of pressure on his shoulders last night 
Whereas Luke Humphreys, yeah, he started okay, but I think he was hoping he would start an awful lot better. But a lot of it is down to how you finish out a game. Yeah. And he finished out quite well. Look at all the sets he won in a row, both of the three or four sets in a row. Yeah. To come back, he was down at one stage, four sets to two. And he probably said to himself, I have to gather myself here. Whereas he put the pressure again straight away on Luke Littner. So, yeah, I think it was a lot of it was how uh, Humphreys managed himself. And his experience, in my view, brought him through to claim the title. It was lovely to hear him speaking afterwards as well, talking about his battles with depression and how darts kind of got him through that. I thought for a sport that's considered to be quite macho, it was a really lovely and honest thing for him to say. It was. I found that interesting. I'm glad you actually brought that up because he spoke about anxiety. Yeah. Now, if you have anxiety, I'm not so sure if that's your game. Yeah, that's a good Because point. there's a lot of concentration. There's a, there's a lot involved in a game of darts. It's not just a case of go up and throw the darts against the board. It's not. You have to be literally a mathematical genius mm. because you have to work out all the figures when you're walking your way down. You're not walking your way up. You're walking your way down in figures. Yeah, I don't know how they, they add it up so quickly. Well, you see, there's a skill involved in it. Absolutely. There is. There's a skill involved in it. And that's where it's all mind games. You have to be thinking, thinking, thinking. There's no point in you looking at this triple and you say, I wonder will I go for the other triple? Because then your focus is gone. Mm. Because I remember, like even in our day, it was all down to one thing and one thing only. And that was mathematics. You had to work your system. You had to work the mathematics to perfection. Because if you didn't, well, then you were going to be in trouble. But you literally, you nearly have to be an accountant now. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and to work it so fast, you don't get time. You don't get time to settle. I will say, in working out, if you had several arguments, say you had 139 left or whatever, there is a system, there's a way that you can go about finishing that. But you have to work out all those high finishes. It's okay as, we say, a lower finish, if, no matter if you're not on a double, Mm. If you're above a double, well, then it's very easy to work it out. But can you imagine working out maybe one, five, seven, okay, trouble 19, trouble 20, and then you're doubled? Fine. But, I mean, it's all about thinking. So when you have anxiety and you suffer from time to time with depression, you just have to be able to manage yourself. And I give great, great credit for him coming out last night, low countries, and just telling that story because... I think it sends out a message to enough lot of people that are suffering from depression that it can be managed, but it's yeah. how you manage it. Absolutely. What do you think then, I mean, with the um, popularity of Luke Littler and Dylan Slevin as well, it has to be said, can you see this kind of sparking a bit of a resurgence in young people getting interested and in becoming involved in darts? Yeah, I would hope so. I really would. Because, again... The game of darts nowadays is, you couldn't compare it to the game of darts even when I was playing. Mm. I know there was a lot of pressure on us and with the silence of the crowd compared to now and the crowd, they really played a part in building up the atmosphere and continuing that throughout the game. But I really do think it's going to raise the profile of a lot of young players that's going to get them interested. But here is the big question. For the younger generation, you know, it's still kind of regarded as a pub sport. It is, yeah. And I think, myself, it's only a personal opinion, sometime or someday 
they will have to come away from that kind of a thinking that it's only a pub sport. Yes, all games are played in pubs. And there's a lot of younger generation. I spoke to them. Obviously, you know, I do a lot of interviews like yourself mm. and I have spoken to them. And it seems to be one of those things that is kind of, I'm not so sure that that's my game. This young lad said to me there a while back, he loves playing them at home, but he's not a pub person. Yeah. So that's an obstacle that has to be got over. And they've kind of moved away from that because we're gone from the days of watching the, the WDC where they would be drinking pints and smoking fags. I mean, that day is gone now too. Oh so no, that's well gone. Yeah, that's so well it gone. is moving away. Now, well, it's well gone from the camera. Yeah, that's but not outside point. it, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's well gone from the camera. You see, the camera, to operate it was, uh, at that level... I think it's gone down, well, it obviously has gone down the professional road for a long number of years now, even when Phil Taylor was claiming his 16th title. And I remember interviewing Phil Taylor um, here in Cape Town one day, and it was it was interesting to hear him saying, he said, once the cameras are off, he said, we'd love to down the pints. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just made a point. You know, it just, well, that was actually, you know, just a general conversation when we had finished yeah. the the interview, and I, I just took it in on board and I said to myself, mm, that tells me on camera, right, okay, we don't want this in front of the camera, we just want a bottle of water. But, um, look, it's all down to each individual. It's all down to how they manage themselves in that culture as well. I don't think that they would be drinking too much before it. Might have a couple maybe to settle the nerves yeah. and all of that, but, I mean, they, they couldn't really afford there's so much money at stake now. Yeah. In big prize money. There's so much at stake. I think they have themselves very well prepared. Absolutely. Uh, Stevie, the darts, of course, wasn't the only game in town last night. Uh, the tip footballers were out in the McGrath Cup. Not a great result. I suppose you wouldn't be expecting one against Kerry anyway, but was this just a bit of a kind of experimental game for tip? Um, okay. I'll put it in a nutshell. It was really a difficult game for Paul Kelly coming in as his first game as manager yeah. his first time managing the team with Mick O'Sullivan and all them now Mick would have great experience from Drummond Inch Club and of course Mick coming from a very good footballing county in Kildare but when you go up against Kerry remember they were beaten in the All-Ireland mm. it's one of those teams that you prefer not to be playing yeah especially and for your first game uh, yeah especially in the McGrath Cup because you're sending out young that just Probably would have been a bit inexperienced last night for tip. But are you going to learn much from last night's game? Yes, of course. There are certain things that you will be learning from it. But having said that, I, I really do think it was a learning curve for a lot of them. But it was a baptism of fire, yes, uh, for all players and management. But by and large, I honestly do think that Kerry uh, or Kerry, and remember that could be Kerry's maybe second string, third string, and we're hoping that we're going to have a good league. Uh, last He's night, I forgot to have played the like of maybe Limerick, Watford player, somebody in our own ability group. I know we're even below Clare at the moment, possibly below Limerick. But we have to learn. We have to just get in players. And that's the way it is. And it just wasn't to be from last night. It was a 3.20 to 10 points in the end or something like that. It was a bit of a walloping. But, you know, you were always going to be uh, up against it yeah, when you come up against Kerry. And the hurlers then in action against Waterford this weekend. What are you expecting from that? No, that's going to be interesting because recently when I have been speaking to 
uh, players that are on the panel or whatever. Nobody knows what kind of a team that Liam Cahill is going to put out, but Liam is going to be putting out a team to maybe a little bit of experience to carry the guys that's going to be learning the game and French players that are going to be tried out. So I would imagine it's going to be quite similar with Waterford. Um, it's a game that I'd have to look at the team list first mm. and see. But even the team list that will be named or put down on paper, there could be a couple of changes prior to throw in. We just don't know. But this time of the year, isn't it so hard to judge yeah. players' performances in the muck and the rain? I mean... Then again, I suppose players or managers will always tell you and coaches will tell you and rightly so, when are we going to judge players? I think the, the best time you judge a player is when they're playing at, uh, in the club and which is fine, they're doing that. Mm. But of course, the split season now you see is completely different. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it's all going to pan out next weekend for Lean. And Absolutely. I hope it works out well. Yeah, and hopefully so. Fingers crossed. We'll be uh, broadcasting live here, of course, on, on Tip FM over the weekend. Stevie, great to talk to you as always. Thanks so much for taking the time for us this morning. It's my pleasure. Take care. Thank you. Thanks, Stevie. That's sports broadcaster Stevie O'Donnell there. Keep those texts coming in to us this morning. 1800 938 007 or text or WhatsApp 083 311 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to Tip Today. The phone lines are open 1800 938 007 or you can text or WhatsApp 083 311 The adoption of electric vehicles in Tip is lower compared to the national trend. That's according to figures from the Society of the Irish Motor Industry. Last year in 2023, still funny saying that, isn't it, last year? Well, Tipperary had only 378 T registrations for electric vehicles with a growth rate of less than 13%. This is significantly lower than the national increase of 45% in electric vehicle sales. However, overall, new car registrations in TIP saw a 7% increase. One of our listeners, William, was in touch. He joins me on the line now. Good morning, William. Morning, Ellie. Good to talk to you this morning, William. Tell me, what is your take on electric vehicles? They're still being kind of hoisted on us like this is the way forward and if we want to be more environmentally conscious, we have to, you know, take the hit of the expense of the electric vehicle and accept that this is what we will be driving in the future. What's your take on it? I think there's a lot of People are, are scared of electric vehicles, and, and the reason why I say that, I think there's, there's a couple of points in it. First of all is that an electric vehicle, if you have a head-on collision with, with any other vehicle, the electric vehicle will explode. And it has, we've seen many videos over, over the world where the car just goes into a fireball. The other side is that you have your car for five, six years, however length you have it and you want to change it, the battery goes dead in your car. Nobody's telling us how these uh, batteries are going to be recycled. Mm. Are they going to be environmentally safe when they're being recycled? And the price. Yeah. And I think those three aspects have frightened people, electric vehicles. And, you know, over the last number of years, you had low emissions on fuels within your your, your, your diesel and your petrol. You have your hybrids. So, aren't, you know, I think a lot of people are kind of thinking, look, we're doing enough for the environment. Um, by having a low emission diesel or a hybrid petrol, 
um, why do we need to go with the danger of having um, electric vehicles? Yeah, I, I take what you're saying. I don't, I don't know. Do I believe though that electric vehicles are more dangerous? I think you know, with a diesel or petrol car, you're probably at as much a risk of them possibly exploding in, in the event of a crash mm. than with electric no. vehicles. No, 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 no. Electric vehicle, it, it's because of it's it's all electric. There's there's no fuel. There's no combustion. You've seen them there where they have head on. It it just goes into a now, it would probably have to be a heavy impact, but it's a fireball. So when that crashes, whoever is in it, well, it's a new form of cremation. But we've seen fuel cars explode as well. And the, the case that really comes to my mind was the one in Douglas Shopping Centre. I mean, that wasn't an electric vehicle. Yeah, but look, it's, you're looking at one. But that does, I, I think actually out over the world, there has been hundreds of cars have exploded um, with electric vehicles. And that is the fear that you have is that you're you're okay, they're supposed to be clean uh, going along the road, but God forbid, you could be going along safely, but someone else mightn't be, so you know, it's, it's uh, you know, we're, we're all, everyone's trying to be safe on the road, but, yeah. uh, you know, nobody knows when when anyone will, will, will have a, a chip on the road. And but, I know um, that there's going to be people listening, like Paul McCarthy, I can hear him already, and he's, I'm sure he's going to text in at some stage. He'd be a big proponent for electric vehicles and for, for cleaner living and for more environmentally friendly living. I mean, there is no doubt, though, that electric vehicles are more environmentally friendly than fuel. Oh, yeah. Look, if you want to go down that road, that's fine. That's, you know, it is, it is cleaner. But the extent of it... Um, you know, you're, there's, I know of a couple who had electric car, um, went as far as uh, Dublin up to a shopping centre. Husband went on the, went out to try and get the car charged up. Couldn't get one in the, in the, um, the shopping centre they're in, so he had to go down somewhere else down the road, get his car charged up, come back and pick them all up. And um, on the way down, had to recharge it again. Like, he wasn't getting enough to charge. So there's the... You know, we're not. We're, the infrastructure is not is not in the country at the moment for for full electric. And and that man that you're talking about, I can't think of his name. He whether he will admit it or not, there is not enough infrastructure for all these electric vehicles. You can charge them at home, but if you're doing a long journey, they say you have to plan your journey. How long will it take for your car to charge? Mm. Will you get a point where you can charge your car um, appropriately to suit your 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 timetable? You might not. You might have to wait a while for the charger car, so it could upset your journey. There's a lot of of this. There is probably there's pros, but there's a lot of cons to electric vehicles as well. I've highlighted three or four of them. Yeah, uh, a listener is saying there the cost as well, not just the environmental effect of replacing batteries on electric cars, but the cost of them. I didn't realise this listener is saying it's eight thousand euro to replace a battery. Is that correct? I, I wouldn't be 100% certain I actually thought it was actually, it was actually more. That's huge. But if, he, if that person said it's 8,000, I would, yeah. That's what I said earlier, that when you're treading in your car, they'll have your new battery put into that car for treading it into the next person or they can buy the liability of having a low battery car. Um, the cost of that as well, like you're, you're looking at big, big money. Yeah, it's crazy. And I know we're being encouraged and we're all trying to be more environmentally friendly. But when you look at what's been brought in to help us to do that, and we're looking at electric cars and we're looking at solar panels on houses. But what we're seeing now with solar panels is that they have to be replaced after maybe 15 or 20 years. From what I understand, the only place that can recycle them is a place in the UK or a place in France. And the place in the UK is full up at the moment. So like you said, the infrastructure isn't being put in 
before we're being encouraged to, to undergo all these changes in our lives to try and be more environmentally friendly? Yeah, and how safe are those environmental centres? Will those environmental centres, are they fully safe that you're not going to have any pollution from those? Because yeah. uh, I think a car battery, I think, is a lithium battery of memory. Search your right to those car batteries. Um, how many, will we have enough lithium to have enough electric cars to make all those batteries? Yeah. Do you think hybrid then, you mentioned hybrid, is that the best kind of, um, I suppose, the the middle point that we can meet in this? If, if people don't want to go fully electric, but they want to come away from fuel, maybe hybrid is is the way to go. Yeah, um, it, it seems to be anyone that has a hybrid car are very, very happy with them. Um, so I suppose if you're doing, people that are doing not doing excessive driving will probably be, They'll, they'll probably be very happy with their hybrid because they're going to be uh, they're not going to be going on excessive long journeys every day. But to be fair to anyone who's repping on the road and are putting in a lot of miles every day, um, is a hybrid. I don't know what the expense rate of a hybrid if you're if you're going on on longer journeys or you you have that for your car every day. You're probably low emission. Um, your low emission diesels are probably still your best car to have on the road for yeah. for people who are doing long journeys. Yeah, because, I mean, anyone and who's who's working on the road, I mean, electric vehicle, I can't see how that would work for them, would it? No, I don't think so. If you yeah. have, imagine you have, you have everyone on a road and all electric vehicles, we haven't enough of pints. Like, if you charge up your car every night and you have 400 kilometres, 400 kilometres to a rip might, be, might not get them home, so yeah. they might have to try and get in to get another uh, charge for half an hour, an hour to try and get them back home. Is there a guarantee that you know when you have a quarter tank of, of fuel um, okay, I have another 100 kilometres or 120 kilometres. But if you see the line down at quarter of electric tank, will that quarter, is that exactly accurate? Or when mm. it just gets a little bit weaker, it'll just conk out? Yeah, at least with the fuel, you kind of know, even when it's on the line, you'll, you might get a few more miles out of it. So it's a bit more yeah. reliable. Yeah. 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 William, I take it then from our discussion, you don't have an electric car, do you? No, I don't, and I'll I'll try and stay away from it for for as long as we can. I I you know, I just think there's too many there's too many cons. I don't see enough of pros in it. For me, I don't do enough of driving for to justify one. So yeah. I I just think I think that look we we're not going to become 100% environmentally friendly in this world. And if anyone thinks we are, um, I I think it's very keen to say they're on cuckoo land. Okay. Um, you know, we can we can only do we can only do a fair amount to be to play our part in the world. But I can never see us being 100 percent environmentally friendly. And I think there's always going to be a certain amount of fuel um, fuel going to be there to try and um, to, to try and get us through the rest of the world. Okay, William, great to talk to you this morning. Thanks for your views on that. Thanks, Sally. All Thank the best. You. That's what William there. Some reaction to the listener says the carbon footprint of manufacturing an EV is way, way greater than the carbon footprint of manufacturing a diesel or petrol cars. Another listener says, where's all the recycling for electric cars, the treatment of the people having to pull out the product from mines and to make um, the recycling of the batteries. Another listener says, Donald says, electric vehicles are a scam. The big problem is the battery. Batteries will have to be replaced by a zero-point module 
ratio to make these vehicles effective. Donald, that's totally over my head. I don't know what you're talking about, but I, I trust it. Thanks for that. Keep those texts coming in to us 083 311 We were discussing yesterday new research that shows that Ireland had no excess deaths during the core pandemic years of 2020 to 2022. We spoke to Anthony Staines about that yesterday. Uh, quite a contentious interview, I think. A lot of listeners quite confused by what he was saying. Uh, Porik joins me on the line now. He joins me. Hi, Porik. Good morning, Ali. How are you? I'm good. Good to talk to you this morning. I'm not too sure if you heard that interview um, with Professor Staines yesterday, but tell me, what do you think of this report that tells us there were no excess deaths during that core period during the pandemic? Yeah, just that sentence you just said there now, there were no excess deaths during the COVID pandemic in, in Ireland um, would contradict what people sense or felt about the time. Mm. Um, there was a time, for example, January 2021, where there were 440 COVID-related deaths in one month. Yeah. It was, you know, uh, but so I think, you know, Mark Twain, I think, said there are lies, damned lies and statistics. So... I, my suggestion would be that there should be, you know, an element of caution involved in interpreting what's being said, because even, for example, the OECD report itself calls out Ireland in a note where it says that the data from Ireland is qualified by two things. One is the fact that there is a three-month uh, requirement or delay often in reporting deaths in Ireland. And also, there was a cyber attack on the HSC during that time, That's true. where registration, yeah, registration of births, deaths, and marriages were impacted during that time. So even the OECD says the data from Ireland is a little bit qualified because of those two factors. Um, but then, like when you dig down a small bit, and all I'm doing, I'm reading what's in the paper. So when you dig down, the the reports that we were relying on in Ireland, the major one was UL and Manute, where they said. You know that there were thousands of excess deaths, mm. but what they were looking at was, for example, things like RIP notice, notification of death. Yeah. The the OCD report took into account population growth. So what our what the original reports we were looking at were saying: look, here are the number of deaths. They are greater than the number of deaths from two years previous to now. So therefore, there are excess deaths. The OECD one said: well, look, the population has grown by X percent. Mm. So sort of per capita, there hasn't been an increase. But I think that the danger of the simplistic interpretation of it when it is an extremely complex area is on one end of the spectrum, you have the government. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have the conspiracy theorists. Mm. So the government have rushed out immediately and said, hey, look at us. No excess deaths. We did a great job. Yeah. And then the conspiracy theorists are saying there was never a problem because there weren't any excess deaths. We were all lied to. There wasn't really a problem. And both interpretations, I think, are hugely, um, how would you say, uh, simplistic. Uh, and it's a lot more complex than, than, than it would appear. It's like the damned lies and statistics thing. You can quote scripture, as it were, to mix up my, my metaphors. Mm. Um, you can quote scripture to suit your own purpose. So I, I, I'd be really looking forward to the COVID inquiry that's been promised this year. Uh, where Irish data uh, will be looked at and, you know, like, for example, uh, this would be very hurtful. I think what's being, some of the things that have been said at the moment, including that sentence, there were no excess deaths, would be enormously hurtful to families who were impacted by COVID, who did lose family members. And I know there'd be a lot of people who would be 
waiting for this inquiry to see what comes out about the level of excess death in, in nursing homes, yeah. which were very high during that time and affected an awful lot of families and caused an awful lot of sorrow. So that one sentence, then I'm not saying that you made up that sentence, that's what's being said, no excess death, almost is like a smack in the face to people who suffered a lot of loss during during the COVID pandemic. So I think it's it's a case of caution, I think, in, in interpreting the data and the different reports uh, and just, I think, maybe waiting for the inquiry. Yeah, because it makes you wonder, is it a case of massaging figures, like you said, to make it look like the government did a fantastic job during the pandemic? But, you know, how can you trust figures then? I think everyone would accept that there were excess deaths during the pandemic. But if there is an official study coming out saying actually there was no excess deaths, it, it makes it difficult to trust what we are given in terms of reports and information from government departments. Yeah, it does. It does. Look, <clears throat> not I'm slighting the profession of accountants, but I worked with an accountant one time. I said, what's that going to look like on the books? And he said, it depends on how you treat it. Oh, so, nice. <laughs> so I think it's the same with statisticians. It's the it's how they analyse the data, what the baseline data is and what the interpretations they make. For example, the big difference with the OECD report was that they took into account population growth. Mm. Is that a valid way to do it? And an ageing population. Uh, yeah, exactly. We have an ageing population greater than any of the other countries yeah. that were studied. So, like, and again, for example, there are factors during, uh, say, the restrictions that were imposed by the government in Ireland included mask wearing, uh, reducing travel. Apparently, I've read, this is only anecdotal, but I've seen that the reduction in pneumonia and flu deaths was massive as a result of that yeah. because mostly flu would be contracted by contact with people and so forth who already have the flu. So a lot of those deaths were reduced as well, which would go against, maybe offset some of the increases due to COVID, yeah. if you know what I mean. Yeah. So it, it's just, I've, I've been trying to understand it <clears throat> and I'm struggling because um, it's just such a mixed um, mashup of uh, different factors, different interpretations, um, and I'd be really looking forward to that inquiry that if they can put it in them in terms, you know, by sector, by, you know, nursing homes and so forth, compared to a comparable time in the past yeah. where there are more or, more or less or fewer deaths. Because they are talking about it on the front of the Irish Times. Jennifer Bray is writing this morning that this COVID inquiry, the terms of reference for it will be set up in the next 12 weeks. It Then from there, it's likely to take 18 months to complete its work. Yeah. But what we don't know yet is the exact way that the inquiry will take place. Um, officials, she's writing, are understood to be examining the pros and cons of mechanisms such as a commission of investigation, a tribunal or a scoping inquiry. What would you like to see happen? Well, I'd, I'd like to see a proper tribunal and I'd like to see the ability of interest groups to be, including those who are who are cynical about vaccines, and to be able to put their questions to it so that when it's done, it's done. Mm. And it's not done so that there's a cohort out there saying, ah, yeah, but they never looked at this. For example, I'd like it to include, and I, I was very pro the restrictions, pro-vaccination, and I, I would be an admirer of most of what the government did during that time. But there were impacts. There were impacts on children who lacked the social interaction of school yeah. for substantial periods of time. There were impacts on children who lived in households who weren't IT savvy and couldn't take part in classes. And there are a whole lot of other elderly people, for example, for example, who maybe daily mass or weekly mass 
was also a social event where they met other people. And that was taken away. What were the psychological effects yeah. of the restrictions? So that if we were to do it again, would we maybe tailor the restrictions to permit some things, even though there would be a, uh, a viral or a COVID or whatever the next one is, there would be a consequence of it. But that when you balanced it all up, it would be better maybe to let people go to mass. I don't know. I'd like it to see it to be broad enough to look at things like that. Yeah. William, our Porrick, some great points made there today. Thanks so much for talking to us this morning. Thank you, Ellie. Thanks, Porrick. That's uh, Porrick there and uh, William just before him. Keep those texts coming to us. 083 311 or 1800-938-007. Uh, listener says, relation to electric vehicles. Uh, listener says, rural Ireland doesn't suit electric vehicles. We are the forgotten people. Big towns and cities have a lot better infrastructure. Also, the ordinary Joe Soap just can't afford it. Uh, another listener says, "When this from Thomas, when doing this research, did the HSE not record the deaths as COVID or was every death that occurred just put down to COVID? Reference who will line that out. Uh, the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, who could manage uh, taking a top of a pen. That's from Thomas. Uh, keep those texts coming in to us. 83 311 We're back after this. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. I have to give a quick happy birthday. I know we don't normally do them, but one of the, the, probably the first person I speak to most mornings is a lady called Caroline at the pool. We go for a swim every morning and she told me it's her birthday today. So happy birthday to you, Caroline. I know you sometimes listen in. So happy birthday to you. Hope you have a great day. Uh, also, moving on now to our next topic, road safety and road deaths. We discussed it on the programme, of course, yesterday. A lot of callers in about that and what can be done um, to try and bring down this huge increase we're seeing in road deaths. One of the worst years we had in 2023. God knows it was such a tragic year on roads in Tipperary and across the country. Sparked a lot of reaction in our discussion yesterday and one of our listeners, Kieran, raised concerns that he has about lighting systems on new cars. It came up a number of times yesterday. He joins me on the line now. Hi, Kieran. Hello, Eddie. Good morning. Good to talk to you, Kieran. Tell me, what are your concerns about the lights? Is it these LED lights? Well, they are, I think they are LED. I wouldn't know the proper term for them. The old lights, I think, were halogen. But um, I have a, a concern about them for many years. And I watched the programs, uh, like the up front with Katie Hannon, I was expecting something. And uh, I listened to the radio and I see all the reports and the deaths. And figures came out the other day. That's kind of what put me on uh, the ring you about it. Uh, some statistics are out now. I wasn't near the pen to write down what they were on our own uh, country. But a couple of years ago, I uh, spoke to the people on the National Roads Authority, or maybe the Road Safety Authority now. But um, And I told them my concern was driving on a country road, uh, these lights will just literally blind you. Mm. Now, the problem there is, as I see it, if you're driving, which I do drive on a country road, but um, and I have to change one of the roads is a bit wider than the other, so that's the one I use at night time now. But um, if you drive and you have these blaring lights coming at you, you can't see what's really in front of you. Oh, you you're can't. blinded. Yeah, totally. You're blinded for about maybe three or four seconds until it passes. Now, when I was on to the National Roads, there, about three or four years ago, I'd say, um, they said to me, did you get the number of the car? And I said, what? I didn't even see the car. That's you mad. Know, which is stupid, you yeah. know. 
But um, so, and uh, then I read further uh, on the, the journal, the UK journal, and of the night uh, accidents, 11% was put down to, to, to the lights. Right. Now, these are the new lights that would blare you, it would just blind yeah. you, actually. But uh, they're great to be behind them, and I've been behind them in a different car because I have an old car that I'm not in. But um, so they're great at coming out where, in which you, you see everything, of course, is all magnified compared to the old lighting system. Mm. But I said, these lights coming against you. Now, I'm looking at the, the, the statistics from what I gathered the other day coming out. Uh, I don't know, but the 50-50 rural and urban. But a lot of the, at night time, apparently, 70% of the traffic, of the, the accidents happen at night on the rural roads. Mm which gives credence to what my figures are, yeah. you know. Um, so, and nobody has looked at it. And I was watching the Katie Hennon program there up front the other night, and there was uh, somebody, a lot of politicians, of course, and spiffing away, that's all they do. But anyway, um, so none of them were making sense. They were all working their own angle. And I just don't know how uh, you get different sides to come, and they're all arguing their own angle. Yeah. Right or wrong, you know, it's something they have to stick with. But uh, my problem is that I don't know what we can do about it. And uh, if you, if some, and another thing is if people are driving with these cars and if they are pulled in on the wrong side of the road, and we say you're on the left hand side, obviously, mm. they're on their left hand side, which is, uh, uh, you know, it's obviously your left hand side, or uh, they're coming against you, yeah. you know. So, but, um, and they leave the lights on and you're blinded. I was down at the junction even last night and there was someone just parked with the full lights on and they had to blink them, blink the lights. Yeah. Eventually they got the message and they knocked them off because the bus is near the wall and then they were outside of the bus. So I couldn't see where I was going. Yeah. You know, going to collect the passenger there. So it's just, um, it's like, the, the, to me, it's like the elephant in the room that uh, everybody sees the speed limit. And the 30 kilometer is roughly 18 miles per hour. That is ridiculous. Do you think it's too slow? Oh, indeed I do. Indeed I do. There'll be a backlog everywhere, you know. But then I suppose if you're a pedestrian, you'd be happier. If you were going to be hit by a car, you'd prefer if it was doing 30 than doing 50. Well... The only thing I'll say to that, Ali, is a lot of people I find, and it drives me mad, uh, is that people walk at night time in the country roads with no high vis. That's madness. You, you madness. can't see them. No. And, you know, I, I, years ago now, I was coming out from Limerick to Tip, and uh, next thing, I was driving along, and this so the lights wouldn't be anything. I won't blame the lights for this. But um, so I... I uh, coming up to a cross, I saw this head coming out in front of the car. Oh my God. I thought I had him decapitated. <gasps> so it was a fella, he was towing. Oh no, a lot of people don't do that anymore. But he was towing. But would you believe I was nearly physically sick? Oh, I can imagine. I thought I had the head taken off the fella. Oh. You know, so it's it's very upsetting for the drivers as well. Of course. 
you know. But it's uh, people walk out across the road as well, no high is, and they think that you've seen them, but they're in dark clothes. They don't. Yeah, I mean, you that's the problem, Kieran, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, and we spoke about it yesterday, and a lot of callers had different theories about what the issues were on the roads, but it's really multifaceted, isn't it? It's the lights, it's our own aggression, it's speed, it's the lack of Gardaí, it's all of those things combined, I think. Do you think so? Well, I'll tell you, I, sometimes I think people take the the, op, the, the easy option. Now, um, and I'm not uh, condemning or condoning this. Uh, Michael Healy Ray will be the man I suppose to talk to. But everything seems to come down just to the drink at yeah. one stage. Then the drink was nearly abolished. You can't drink and drive at all, not even one pint. So that was abolished. But the road... Uh, the road uh, deaths have gone up yeah. and the accidents have gone up. So therefore, uh, and logic was suggesting that it wasn't the drink. It's partly, I'm not excusing it, but uh, I feel like that some fellow who's living up the mountain or in the Borean, he can't come down and have one or two pints with the lead. And I think that leads to uh, a lot of deaths by depression. Yeah, yeah. I you know, because the people need to... to, to uh, interaction is the name of the game, you know, for yeah. people. Kieran, but, I'll have um, to leave it there because I'm out of time, I'm afraid, for this morning. But well, thanks so much. It's, it's delights anyway, Ali, that yeah. I'm on about, you know. OK, well, let's see what the listeners have to say. Thanks for that, Kieran. OK, Ali. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. Some reaction to what we were discussing in the first hour. Johnny says the state of the roads when you're driving, I would say, is a major factor in a lot of accidents. The yellow lines and the white lines are not visible the same with the cat's eyes they're non-reflective it's deadly driving after dark especially on the back roads uh, James was also in touch he said when I started driving over 20 years ago the lines on the road used to be very visible when lights shone on them the same with cat's eyes now, nowadays the lines are worn and dirty and can't be seen and the cat's eyes just don't shine another listener says the reflection from the roadsides is also a big issue the glare from them is as bad as lights we have enough laws in this country we just need to implement them. Keep those texts and calls coming in to us, 1800 938 or text or WhatsApp 083-311-3311. Now, the big story today is that tranche of documents relating to paedophile financier Jeffrey Epstein. They've been published yesterday. US Judge Loretta Prisca ruled last month that documents naming more than 170 people who were either associates, friends or victims of Epstein should be made public. Public. One site where the documents were being released crashed within minutes, warning the server might be overloaded. There's been huge speculation online in recent weeks on who would be included in the list. There were a few surprises, a few non-surprises, and joining me now to discuss it is our own Andrew Luby. Andrew, good morning. Morning. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Uh, I've been waiting for this for a while because we love the mm. drama of it, don't yeah, we? But yeah. uh, obviously it's a very serious story as well. We expected to see names like Bill Clinton mm-hmm. and of course, Prince Andrew. Yeah, Stephen Hawking for me was a big mm. surprise. Well, I, I think the first thing, well, look, first of all, um, I, I feel uncomfortable speaking about this, to be honest with you, but I've been following the story as you have uh, for a while. And I've listened to some of the podcast and what, podcasts and, and watched a lot of it going on and that. I suppose you, you've given a lot of the background 
uh, there. Um, first thing that we should say, that the people that are mentioned today, there's nobody saying that they've done anything of wrong. Of course. Okay, so they're just associates of his and I'm sure there's a lot of them that are on this list of 170 170 Crazy. people uh, today that they, they will feel damaged in some way for, for knowing this guy um, so right he's in the news again today little bit of background the notorious disgraced businessman made his billions as you said in the world of finance um, he took <laughs> did he, he took his own life did he um, I know I mean you could do a whole programme uh, on that uh, that was was that 2017 was it I, I think, think it? so yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway took apparently taking his own life uh, in jail uh, the court filings that everybody is talking about today contain the it's the defamation lawsuit right uh, that was brought against uh, Ghislaine Maxwell and it's is it Virginia Jufre is the yeah. Um, yeah that that was the she uh, was lady. the first one who I really think she was was the first one. Ghislaine Maxwell, I think everybody knows Ghislaine Maxwell now for all the wrong reasons. She's the British uh, socialite. Uh, she's in jail at the moment. She's doing a 20-year stretch there. Daughter of the late Robert Maxwell, who owned the Mirror Group, of course. Mm. Um, On-off girlfriend with, with, with Epstein. So now everybody, as you rightly said, there was a lot of names that were expected to, to arrive. Tom right? Hanks was a big name for the last few weeks on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Well, no I, sign. No, there's no sign. And is, it, is there something going on with Jimmy Kimmel as well? Did Jimmy you Kimmel see that? came out last night to say he was he didn't know where the speculation come fr- came from, that hmm. he was never expected to be included on the was list. Was there some famous footballer or something that mentioned him in a tweet? I oh, think that possibly. was a story. Some famous American footballer mentioned him and he's talking about uh, taking him to court uh, over it and said, look, I had no, no association with this guy whatsoever. But now everybody, like, because it's it's all famous people, like out of the 170 people, there's probably 150 we've never heard of. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So they'd, they'd be people that would be well got in the world of finance and all that kind of thing and in business. But as you said, what's interesting is the big names, a lot of them that we knew. The Prince Andrew thing, of course, this has kind of come up again. Um, that's not going to do him very good. Um, but there's a bit of audio, actually. I, will we play a bit of the audio now, just as we're talking about Prince Andrew, if you like, before, from we, the before we get into interview. it? From the infamous uh, car crash interview yeah. with the uh, BBC. If you want to play the first one. She says she met you in 2001. She dined with you. She danced with you. You bought her drinks. You were in Tramp nightclub in London. And she went on to have sex with you in a house in Belgravia belonging to Ghislaine Maxwell. Didn't happen. Do you remember her? No. I, 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 I have no recollection of ever meeting her. I love that interview. And what's so amazing about mm-hmm. that is he came out of that thinking he did a great job. Yeah, it was an absolute car crush. Um, it was It was incredible. And the photograph, of course, is the the big thing as well. Yeah. So that famous or infamous uh, photograph of of him. Uh, if you want to play the second one, he he addresses the photograph thing, right? I'm just trying to understand. There's a photo inside Galen Maxwell's house. Galen herself is in the background. Why would people not believe that you were there with her that night? Oh, they might well wish wish to believe it, but the, there's a, the, the the photograph is taken upstairs, and I don't think I ever went upstairs. I'm at a loss to explain this particular photograph. You can say categorically that you don't recall meeting Virginia Roberts, yep. dancing with her at Tramp, yep. or going on to have sex with her yes. in a bedroom in a house in Belgravia. I, I can absolutely categorically tell you it never happened. Now, personally, like, if it was me, I would go to the ends of the earth to prove my innocence. But sure, he, they made a big payment, didn't they? Yeah. 
Was it something like 14 million or something that they paid for this to go I'm not away? sure if it was disclosed, but it's often been speculated on how much it was, but it was in the, the multi-million. Why would you, why would you pay? I, I can't understand yeah. that. There's it's an a, admission of guilt, essentially. Well, maybe you can say that. It can me? be interpreted as that. It, but it, it can be. But and according to the documents bizarre. released then today, uh, there's another Epstein victim. Her name is Joanna Soberg. Yeah. And she's accusing him of, of molesting her. And Prin- also Prince said, Andrew Prince now. Andrew. Or, or, or really yeah, Prince they? Andrew. And that she took part in an underage orgy with Prince Andrew on Epstein Island. <sighs> So um, it's not going away. It's 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 not going away. Uh, Michael Jackson was mentioned. Yeah. Um, just because he had dinner, I think, with Epstein uh, in Palm Beach in Florida some years ago. Um, you, you rightly said that there was a couple that, that jumped out, like Stephen Hawking. Now, I would imagine that Stephen Hawking's estate is is going to pursue this um, and, and clear his name. Yeah. I mean, there's so much stuff that's going to come out of this. It's just going to be incredible. It's going to be just like a whole load of court cases. Uh, and and David Copperfield, the magician as David well, Copperfield. mentioned. <clears throat> David Copperfield mentioned. Um, so, like, like loads of them. And, and of course, everybody's across this uh, all day. The American uh, press, uh, particularly. Well, well, every place, uh, I guess. As I said, the vast majority of people. Kevin Spacey was mentioned. Yeah, I don't like <coughs> that's that wasn't his realm, was it? <laughs> no, I don't. I'm think trying it to was. be sensitive I know, about this. I, I don't. I don't think it was, but God knows he's had enough trouble. Absolutely. Uh, w- without that as well, um, stuff that Epstein has said in the past, like go to the Clinton thing, um, which is I even feel horrible even saying this. Uh, Clinton likes the younger ones. Yeah. Did you did you hear the, he quoted? Wasn't he to say yeah. that once? Was that actually recorded? He likes the younger girls. Wasn't that it? Like yeah. just oh man, it's 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 horrible, isn't it? Just back to the Prince Andrew thing, and he was talking about the photograph there, and I'm sure I'm not the first person to think it is. <clears throat> Excuse me. If that was doctored, like that, he thinks it might have been that photograph was was doctored or or photoshopped or whatever they say now. If he could find the original photograph of him, if somebody could find the because it is a photograph of him. Yeah. With his arm around this girl. I mean, if you could find the photograph, the original photograph, and say, well, there's the photograph, and it's my arm around Alison Highland. Yeah. And obviously, there's no sign of that photograph. No. So, like, even... I mean, he would love to find to find that photograph himself. And anybody that has that photograph, like, they would get, like, serious money for that now to prove mm. his innocence. No sign of the original photograph. Isn't it incredible how important a role that that photograph played yeah. in the whole case. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. So I think, I, like, I mean, he, he must hate today. A lot of them must hate today because a lot more um, questions uh, than answers uh, once again. And I want the, the, the Clintons, though, have notoriously <coughs> been very Teflon when it comes to scandal. Absolutely. I mean, they, they've been accused of, of even orchestrating the as, deaths of people. Same, I mean. as, same as Trump. Absolutely. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Trump was mentioned as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, Teflon, um, Teflon Bill. Um, he, he's been accused of so much. See, <laughs> you love the conspiracy I stuff, love don't it. you? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I like a lot of Have that. Have you ever heard the Ron Brown story when it comes to the Clintons? No. Ron Brown was a Secretary of State in the Financial Department, I believe. Mm-hmm. Could be wrong on that. Uh, during the early 90s and died in a plane crash. Yeah. Um, I think over... Was it over Poland, I think, in the early 90s? But then evidence started to come out that when they did the autopsy, there was a bullet in his head. Ah. So he hadn't died in the plane crash. There's a book about it as well. It's called Ron Brown's Body. It's an amazing book, but it, it 
kind of shines a light on the real darkness of the yeah. Clintons and the, yeah. the lengths that they went to. to this is when, and, this is, and just, to, uh, I think this was when Clinton was um, governor of Arkansas, wasn't yes. it? It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's back from then. But the problem with conspiracy theories, and I mean, I like them as much as, as you do. Sometimes the conspiracy ones that are possibly true are kind of, um, you know, diluted by the ones that are silly. Yeah. <clears throat> so when Hillary was gone for, on the presidential race and the whole paedophile ring that she was, you know, the Pizzagate. Pizzagate and all yeah. that. And, like, I mean, I don't know. You, I don't know how you feel about that. I thought that was a little bit ridiculous. But, you see, a lot of it then gets a bit silly. Yeah. Um, and it kind of stops people looking into the real stuff that That's may true. possibly have happened. You know what I mean? But it's but, funny. I mean, what do you think, though, will happen? I mean, a lot of these <clears throat> names didn't come as a surprise, like Prince Andrew. Um, yeah. Who else was on it? I'm sure, Bill Clinton, of course, Bill as well. Clinton's Only name. a couple of real surprises. Do you think anything is going to come out of this now? Um, I, I think if it, if it was, as I said, I'm repeating myself, likes Stephen Hawking, his estate now, uh, David Copperfield, like these people are going to have to come out and defend themselves. Mm. Because, and again, I have to say, it doesn't mean there's any allegations of any no, wrongdoing. Uh, it seems that if you were just associated with this guy in any shape or form, uh, that, you, that you're being mentioned. It feels um, a bit like Harvey Weinstein again, doesn't it? Like, there, there was an open secret there that there was something shady and dark going on there, but mm. everyone just kind of accepted it or yeah. ignored it. Yeah. You get this kind of feeling again with Epstein, don't you? You do a little bit. Yeah, you do. And the, 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 the kind of... We're speaking about the high-profile people and, you know, he's a parent suicide and everything. I mean, how could... What an, as sad as the whole thing is, what an amazing story if the Clintons or somebody got to somebody in the jail yeah. and got to him. I mean, could that happen? But like, it, the, it, I mean, it's something nine, it's strange happened. Stuff. I mean, you, you had two guards. He was meant to be on suicide watch. Yeah. Both of those guards just happened to be off their post at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Then he had his bunkmate at that time was this huge gorilla of mm -hmm. a guy who mm -hmm. came out of nowhere and then disappeared after the suicide. Like, there's there's a lot of shady dealings. And then when you have with Jeffrey Epstein, who'd said that he had video evidence of a lot of powerful people oh, in very damaging situations, yeah. you would wonder. I don't think he would have committed suicide because he, he held a lot of power at that time. He had a lot of leverage. Mm. So why would he? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> come on, come on into like, the conspiracy pool. I, mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I always think, like when people talk about nine eleven and it being a um, white flag or what the you don't believe the, the, that either. I got it, <laughs> but I always think for anything to happen, there has to be a certain amount of people involved, and yeah. somebody is going to talk. Uh, like even if they don't talk for money, and they were well paid off at the time, or the Princess Diana thing, and she being killed by the royal family. Somebody's going to know. I don't and believe even that, on no. their deathbed, they're going to they're going to talk. They're yeah. going to say and anything where where there's a lot of people involved or something. And there has to have been, like if he was bunked off in jail, man, there has to have been a lot of people that knew about it. Um, I look, I don't know. I, it makes it it makes it more interesting. It does. It's very It'd be a great. Movie. Some some people don't care about this stuff. A listener is actually asking: Was Bill Gates named in it? Not that we can see so far. Bill Gates' name wasn't in it, but Bill Gates was asked about it um, a couple of years ago, and his answer, which was a very strange answer with ABC News, he just simply said, "Well, look, the guy is dead, so I don't really want to speak about it." Ooh. And he was asked, "Was he associated with him in any way, or does he?" And and he just moved away from it. He didn't. Uh, disassociate himself. You think that would be the first thing you do? Yeah. I said, I'm a bit innocent about this stuff. I always think Bill Gates is a little, a little bit wholesome and stuff, you know, but maybe that's me. I'm just oh, a little bit silly. I, I mean, the whole Clinton thing, uh, the Trump thing, the Weinstein thing, the, like, 
these powerful men and the Me Too movement, which was, you know, fantastic over the last couple of years and put an end, well, hopefully put an end to some of that stuff that was going on. But then there's like, again, I'm back to the Stephen Hawkins thing. I mean, Stephen Hawkins. I know, and, and I'm trying to be sensitive, Seriously, but is he like, physically capable of, of that, you know? That, that's what surprised me about that. People say that about me too, but... They, uh, you're not on it, are you? <laughs> no, but am I, phys- am I physically capable? <laughs> <laughs> and you, uh, thanks for that. We shouldn't be making fun about it. It's a very, it's a very serious story. Absolutely, and uh, And yes. I, 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 a lot of people would say, talking about things like this, and I know you'll agree with me, just if there's a trigger warning with anything we spoke course. about. Um, just, you know, seek help if anybody's upset by any of that conversation. Absolutely. Great to talk to you. Thanks for that, Andrew. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. We got sent a lovely picture of a man called Jim Phelan. And Jim Phelan actually happens to be the great uncle of Luke Humphreys, who won the World Earth Championship last night. And the reason the listener sent this in was because there's a tip connection to Luke Humphreys. Uh, his ancestors hail from Ballydine in Kilsheelan. So he sent us a picture of Luke's great uncle, Jim Phelan, uh, with the, the Luke Humphreys shirt on him. And Luke's grandfather, Philip, is Jim's brother, was Jim's brother. Fantastic. Always a tip connection to everything. Remember Seamus Martin always saying that. You can always find a tip connection to everything. So thanks for that, listener. Now, as the new year gets into full swing, it's a great time to reassess your habits and put a renewed focus on getting a good night's sleep. So you can start 2024 off on a well-rested note. Patrick McKeown is our sleep expert and he joins me now to share some of his tips. Patrick, good morning. Good morning, Ali. Good to talk to you this morning, Patrick. I know it's for those of us who are back at work this week, it's been a bit of a tough week because we've had a lot of late nights and a lot of lie-ins. So it's very difficult to get back into a good sleeping pattern again, isn't it? It is, yeah. And I think the late nights are interesting because we have to compare it similar to jet lag. And yeah. for every one hour one hour of time difference, it takes one day to recover. Oh. So I think any of us who've, say, for example, we fly to New York and there's five or six hours of a time difference, it takes us five to six days to recover. But the same goes for if we've had a week of late nights and disrupted sleep patterns, it's also going to take a few days to recover. So it's kind of normal. Yeah, it's weird. And I have to say, I'm glad you came on today because last night I'd say I had the worst night's sleep I'd probably ever had. I got maybe an hour total and I, I don't know what it was. I was just kind of stressed with stuff and I just wasn't able to get back into the pattern again. So is it just a case of going back to the routine? It might take maybe a week, week and a half, but you'll be back in it again and, and just stick to it. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, if the mind is overstimulated, if we if we have something on our mind, we don't necessarily fall asleep so quickly. And it's almost that the brain is keeping us awake because the brain is sensing a threat. So when we are working with our own clients, we would always say, you know, change your breathing patterns and especially take a soft breath in through your nose and a really relaxed and a slow and gentle breath out because when you have a slow exhalation, your body is telling the brain that you're safe. Okay. And while it's not always easy, because the mind can be ruminating and there's a lot of talks going through the mind during sleep and we end up twisting and turning. And of course, then we're thinking, well, if I keep being half awake and half asleep when I get up, I'm going to be absolutely exhausted. Mm. So it only adds to it. Um, guided audios can be very helpful. Now, there's many free guided audios on YouTube 
um, on Spotify. We have them as well. And sometimes it's nice to hand the issue over to something. So say, for example, you're lying there at 3 o'clock in the morning, you're after waking up, you're half awake, you're half asleep, play a guided audio for 20 minutes, and you're handing it over to something else so that it will help you fall asleep quicker. Is there a particular audio you should go for? Like, should it be music or should it be nature sounds? Or is that all personal to whatever you want or whatever you like? Yeah, I suppose it's whatever works. The new kid on the block last year was Green Noise, and I hadn't heard of it before, and Green Noise is listening to the sound of leaves. Um, I think a guided audio, what would work for me best is instruction. Um, So, say, for example, that you're just listening to instruction and it's getting you out of your head and you're bringing your attention into the body and you're slowing down your breathing. In other words, you're reducing thought activity. But I suppose another thing, Ali, is we have to think about, well, what's causing the overstimulation of the mind in the first place? And, you know, there's a lot about sleep. Um, I'm going to go for about an hour's walk, even though I'm back at work and I want to expose myself to daylight first thing in the morning. Because this in turn is telling my brain, telling my body that it's time for me to wake up. And in the evening time, we want to try and minimize our exposure to blue light, especially mobile phones and things like that. So that would be part of circadian rhythm. So it's very important to to see daylight, not actually looking out through a window, but actually seeing daylight in the morning and then minimizing light so that your brain knows that, yes, it's time to wake up and it's time to go asleep. And... The elephant in the room when it comes to sleep is mouth breathing because Mm. that can be a big issue and it increases the risk of snoring and obstructive sleep apnea, which in turn can cause you to wake up. Gosh, yeah. And is there, um, I mean, it it can be difficult for anyone to know how bad their snoring is. So if you have a partner maybe who's snoring, is it a good idea to record them so they can be aware of of the level of snoring? Yeah, they might be too happy. That was the only issue. (laughs) So... Yeah, I think, uh, like I've seen, you know, people in particular, um, men, completing what's called the upward sleep scale. And, you know, they're saying, no, 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 no. And the wife is sitting beside them and saying, yes, 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 yes. So we can be fairly oblivious. You know, like, how do we feel when we wake up in the morning? I, for years, I had poor sleep. I had obstructive sleep apnea. I was waking up feeling tired. And you kind of get used to it. But then when you've got a good night's sleep and you have a comparison to make, it's it's really a huge difference. And, you know, sometimes people don't consider sleep. We talk about food and we talk about everything else, which is, of course, very good for health. But sleep is absolutely key because mm. the brain cleans itself during deep sleep. And we need to have about 25% of our sleep time is, is really, really deep sleep. But if we're snoring heavy or if we are stopping breathing during sleep, it takes us out of deep sleep. And as a result, then we tend to have lighter sleep and the brain hasn't cleaned itself. We're not waking up feeling refreshed. And this in turn then is affecting mental health. So, you know, for people who might be feeling stressed or anxious or depressed, getting a good night's sleep is absolutely imperative. And part of the issue there is that when the mind is is overactive, it impacts sleep, but then poor sleep quality feeds back into um, an agitated mind. Yeah. So, you know, there's a, there's a relationship there. I just want to put out as well, if listeners have any questions, sleep-related questions for you, they can send them in to us on 83 311 But, Patrick, is there any science or logic behind... A lot of people will swear by turning your pillow over. Is there any kind of science in that? I think we all have our own habits and yeah. our own quirks when we get into bed. Um, 
you know, an even sleeping position. And it's very normal to switch positions during the night because the, the side of the nose that's closest to the pillow gets congested. And that nasal cycle will switch then maybe 90 minutes or two hours later. So that's why we have a tendency to switch from left side to right side. Right. Um, yeah, like it's really, when people talk about pillows, the one thing that often comes into mind is you shouldn't have head tilt because if you have head tilt, it makes the the airway narrower and you might be more susceptible then to restricted breathing or resistance to breathing. So head tilt so, up, you mean? Yeah, like yeah. you should have almost that your head is in line. Like if there was a line drawn from the top of your head right down through the center of your body, that everything is in alignment the same way as if you were standing up straight. Right. That you should be lying that way. Now, I know it's not always easy to achieve, but say, for example, if your head is tilted very much to the left or very much to the right or back or forward, that in turn can impact your airway. I don't know if it's the big issue, though. You know, sometimes we can overthink things. Yeah. Um, if I was to come back to a few things that people could be doing, overstimulation of the mind is not good. Really reduce and minimize mobile phone use, especially late at night. Get out and expose yourself to daylight in the morning, first thing. Many of us have lost that because remote working, we get out of bed, we walk to the room in our house that we do our work, we don't even see daylight. Mm. Um, getting them out closed during sleep, down-regulating before sleep, you know, in terms of not to be overthinking. Not always easy, but there's there's things that you can be doing, such as journaling, writing all of your thoughts down onto paper. In other words, getting it out of your head and putting it onto a, pa- a piece of paper, which can help to clear the mind. So, yeah, th- those would be the big ones that I would be looking at. Okay. I might put a couple of questions to you from listeners. A listener says, I have a terrible problem snoring. It's like snorting all night. What can I do? Um, if you're snoring through the mouth, it sounds a little bit like this. Mm. And you have to get your mouth closed and start with breathing in and out through your nose during the day. Now, we do use supports during sleep to help ensure nasal breathing. If you have snoring through your nose, you can help decongest your nose. There are simple exercises that are available. Again, you'll find them on YouTube. Um, for example, if you put in my name, Patrick McKeown, nasal congestion or decongest the nose, you'll find videos. Um, the more you breathe through your nose, the better it works. Now, of course, if your nose is very compromised anatomically and if you're stopping breathing during sleep, the only way to identify if you have sleep issues is to do a sleep study. Mm. So that's the only way to diagnose it. But I would start off nasal breathing, breathing in and out through your nose, both during the day, that's during rest and physical exercise, and also during sleep. And that alone can make an enormous difference, especially if the person is mouth snoring. Now, nose snoring, you have to decongest the nose. So whatever it takes to help open up the nose. But always bear in mind, if somebody has a stuffy nose, they are two to three times more likely to have a sleep problem. And a stuffy nose could be allergic to, to dust mites, animal dander, or, for example, you could have hay fever. Of course, we're not going to have hay fever nowadays, but, yeah. you know, later on in, as in the year. Um, so, yeah, just to bear in mind, your nose is for breathing, your mouth is not. Yeah, uh, I think you've answered the next question, actually, with that. A listener is saying, is there any tips to stop mouth breathing while you sleep? I find it too hard to breathe through my nose when I'm awake and it's impossible when I'm asleep. Yeah, like we we have been using tape. I know it sounds a little bit extreme, Ali, but we have been using paper tape for many, many years. 
And a few years ago, I brought out our own tape, which it's a tape that surrounds the lips to bring the lips together, but it doesn't cover them out. So from for a safety point of view. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a very popular tape internationally. The tape, if you don't mind me saying, it's called Myo Tape. And um, it comes with the breathing exercises as well to help ensure nasal breathing. And I know in one recent paper, it showed that taping of the mouth to ensure nasal breathing reduced the snoring index by 47%. Wow. So I would actually start off with, now, you know, doing something to help ensure nasal breathing during sleep. Go down that route. It's the big one, and it doesn't take all that much of effort. You don't panic with the tape over your mouth at any stage, would you? I'd be fearful no. I'd rip it off. <laughs> well, initially, you know, it's like everything else. But if you're walking with your mouth closed, if you're conscious of breathing in and out through your nose during the day, um, wearing the tape is actually very, very comfortable. I started this myself back, God, it could be 25 years ago, and I remember waking up. And it was the first night's sleep that I actually felt waking up feeling really, really wonderful. Yeah. And we've been talking about nose breathing during sleep for since 2002, so 21 years, 22 years. And a recent book then by James Nestor came out in 2020. And his book has sold 2 million copies. Wow. And it's all about nose breathing. A lot of it is. And especially includes sleep. And in that book, for example, he... He covered his nose for 10 days, which forced him to breathe through his mouth during the day and during the night. And as a result of that experiment with sleep doctors, he had sleep apnea. So I'm not going to say that nose breathing is the cure of sleep apnea, Mm. but what I am saying is that if you have your mouth open, it is going to significantly worsen your sleep Oh. What if you've no choice in that? And I, I'm, I'm asking that now, uh, per, I suppose, personally, from my own experience, because I ha- I broke my nose when I was young and I had a collapsed septum um, yes. and my, my nostril is kind of collapsed on one side. So I can never get a proper breath through my nose. So I have to breathe through my mouth. Yeah, well, there's a simple exercise that one can do. It involves holding the breath. Um, if somebody has panic attacks or anxiety, go very, very gentle. If you're pregnant, don't do it. And the exercise goes as follows. So anybody can pretty much practice it. Take a normal breath in through your nose. So it's a normal silent breath in through your nose and a normal silent breath out through the nose. And just pinch your nose to stop breathing and gently nod your head up and down for a count of 10 nods or 15 nods. Now, you'll feel a little air hunger. Then let go but breathe in through your nose. It's known since 1923 that when you hold your breath, it increases a gas called carbon dioxide in the blood. This initiates a stress response and the blood vessels in the nose, which are swollen, will constrict. Now, I know you're saying it could be due to your deviated septum, but a lot of people, it's very common to have a deviated septum, probably about 60% of the population. Wow. We don't normally just have a deviated septum. We also have inflammation of the blood vessels in the nose. And it's the combination of the two which is contributing to the feeling of nasal congestion. And the thing about the human nose is that if we are breathing through the mouth, the nose just doesn't work the same. It Mm. will get even more congested. The only way to get the nose working freely and the benefits of nasal breathing. You know, I put a list together last year of 30 functions that the nose does, which the mouth doesn't do. The mouth does nothing when it comes to the breath. Like, all we have to think about the human mouth is what's inside the mouth, our teeth, 
the hard palate, the soft palate, the throat, the tongue, none of those things do anything in terms of breathing. So when you breathe through your nose, you've got an awful lot going on, including increased oxygen uptake in the blood, breathing through the nose during physical exercise, even though it's a little bit more challenging initially, you've got increased oxygen delivery to the working muscles, and sleep is the big one. So what I would say is, you know, somebody comes in to me and they're saying, well, I'm a rugby player, my nose, I'm after getting elbowed. I want to see if that person can actually breathe through their nose for one minute. And I have them do the exercises to decongest the nose. And if I, if they can feel comfortable breathing through their nose for one minute, they can do it for life. Wow. So it's just a matter of practicing it. Okay, Mike was in touch. He said, can you ask about mouth guards to keep the mouth open? Yeah, you can still breathe through your nose with a mouth guard. Like in, The reason then you have to ask, well, why is there a mouth guard? Is it due to bruxing or teeth grinding during sleep? which can be affected by sleep disorder breathing. Um, it's still very important to breathe in and out through the nose. And also if somebody is wearing what's called a mandibular advancement device, nasal breathing is still very, very important. Now, I had a question from somebody in the States yesterday in the exact same thing. And in terms of getting the mouth closed while wearing a mouth guard, yes, you can. And again, we would use our own support for that. But uh, yeah, it's, it's still important to wake up. We should always wake up with a moist mouth in the morning. And the other thing about that is that if you are breathing through your nose during sleep and you're having a deeper sleep, you're less likely to have to go to the bathroom during the night. Yeah. So you're having that more kind of, you're, it's not a disrupted sleep because if you're getting up to go to the bathroom once or twice during the night, well, that's one or two disruptions. Yeah. Um, and it can be challenging falling back asleep. Can I ask you, I'll have to get you back because we're getting a lot of, of questions in and I won't get to them all, but can I just ask, sure. I know a lot of people wear, you know, watches and different devices now that will tell them how they've slept during the night. So when you're looking at that, how much deep sleep is the optimum amount? Yeah, so slow wave sleep or entry sleep, typically you're looking for about 25% of your total sleep time. Now, I, you know, people can get great feedback from these devices. But if you're an individual and you're finding that you're making your sleep a performance, put away the device for a period of time. Right. In other words, if you're going to sleep with an apprehension that you want to have deep sleep because you want to see it on your device in the morning, now you're putting pressure on yourself to have a deep sleep. Yeah. Um, so just bear that in mind. So there is a role for devices, but there's also a role for no devices. Yeah, and not to rely on them. Patrick, I'll definitely have to get you back because we're inundated with questions this morning. I won't get to them, but we'll bring you back maybe the next couple of weeks. Would that be okay? Pleasure. Thank Thanks, you, Ali. Patrick. Great to talk to you this morning. That's Patrick McKeown there, our sleep expert. I got to as many as I could. Uh, a lot more still coming in, but we, we will bring Patrick back. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. For After I've Gone is an extraordinary self-help end-of-life journal designed to empower people in leaving lasting messages for their loved ones after they pass away. The creator of this is Joanne Begley and she joins me on the line now. Joanne, good morning. Good morning, how are you? I'm good, Joanne, good to talk to you this morning. Tell us, where did this idea come from? Um, I was, I'm a social care worker by trade and I work with people and I did my thesis in End of Life and 
I ended up working with a close friend of mine who had motor neuron disease and she wanted to leave something behind for her children. And I couldn't find anything on the market to fit her needs exactly. There's a lot of diaries out there that you can leave now, but not after you've gone. So I just developed one for her. I went to Ethan's, bought A5 journals, wrote questions. And after she passed, then I decided to um, develop it. But in the meantime, I had gotten diagnosed with an incurable brain condition. And I was, I kind of have to think about my own mortality with my kids, what memories I want to leave behind for them, recipes, advice for the future, um, regrets, anything like that. So I, I developed it then. Yeah. And I um, was kind of in touch with my local Leo. And then I went and I did the New Frontiers program in Tucson, Limerick, where you develop ideas. It's run by Enterprise Ireland. After that, I was picked for the Social Entrepreneurs Ireland Ideas Academy. And I did that for six months. Well where you kind of pick a social problem and you work in it and you do your research and your feasibility studies. Um, and after that, then I kind of hooked up with uh, the HSE because I was Section 38 worker. I did the design thinking program with them and I got the opportunity then to pitch it to Arnott's. Then they do it like an initiative every year. Pitch 23 last year was where they invite entrepreneurs up with their product and you go up and do a big dragon's den kind of thing with it and from, like just publicize it and stuff um yeah and it's and i launched it then just september just gone and yeah it's just been a roller coaster since um i donated a lot of the proceeds to our motor neuron um and uh milford hospice here in limerick and yeah it's, it's going well it's, it's um it's getting people talking and that was my whole motive yeah. with it was just get people's narrative around death and dying changing and being prepared but not in a scary way because that, that's what I'd imagine it would be for a mm. lot of people. And I, even if I was to put myself in that position, um, yeah. I think I would be so overwhelmed with fear that, I, you know, yeah. I wouldn't be thinking of the, the practicalities maybe of it and what, what I need to leave behind for Well, people. that's what happens. Yeah. A lot of kind of conversations around death and dying happen in crisis mode. If your parents had a stroke, it was like, oh God, what did they want? And there's a fabulous document, document by the Irish Hospice Foundation called the Think Ahead Document. But it's business-like. It's like it's more about your will and your and your affairs, kind of getting them in order. Mm. Whereas this is more an emotional project that you you'd fill it out if if you were diagnosed with a terminal illness. It doesn't even have to be directed to somebody with a terminal illness. It's just somebody that wants to take the pressure off somebody. Just leave behind nice memories. Yeah, I for your loved one. Doing that thesis yeah. on on end of life gave you a great insight as well. To oh, to it did, and I. I did it on people with disabilities, which was, you know, they wouldn't have the same rights that we would have. Yeah. So, and yeah, it was very interesting. And it kind of sparked my kind of interest in it years ago, God, like, and I, I worked with a man years ago called Frank Kill. He had, from Six Marbridge and Claire, he had locked in syndrome. And um, oh, he used kind of um, like an eye gaze board to conver converse. So I would have kind of had that conversation with him years ago when I was 18 when I worked in the, in the nursing home you know we'll do a letter now for your wife and daughter and he died suddenly of pneumonia and it's always kind of been the itch I couldn't scratch god I should have did that for Frank and then I suppose when I ended up caring for Carmel it just it felt natural to do it and it was always the butt of the joke coming in was like should we give me jobs to do and I'd be like is that for now or for after so yeah. that's hence why I called it for after I've gone so it's been really well received um, um, so yeah it's, it's, 
it's going strength to strength. I got the opportunity to meet Charlie Bird um, just before Christmas there. Um, they were doing the the run, Kevin Sinfield run, mm. up there to 7 and 7. Uh, so Irish Motion Oran had me listed as a resource on their website and they invited me up. But I had sent Charlie a draft of the book when I started two years ago, just kind of, because you keep having to revisit it, you yeah. keep having to change questions that don't suit or uh, or you, I might have forgotten a question. So I sent him the draft and he sent me back a lovely letter and um, a card. So it was yeah. nice to meet him and show him the finished product and... Yeah, I can imagine. And I've seen pictures of them and they look beautiful. And, uh, you know, it brings to mind, I read a study from the UK, I think, last year where they surveyed people in hospice care and they asked them what their regrets on life were. Mm -hmm. And they were quite general, a lot of them. I mean, their regrets were... You know, sure, we all know no, none of them regretted working too much or none of them regretted yeah. not having yeah. enough money. It was yeah. all the simple things yeah. of, I wish I'd spent more time with my children. Yeah. I wish I'd spent yeah. more time having fun. Is is that what you found with your thesis? Definitely. And even things like, you know, um, I when you're doing projects like this, you have to meet people and how to price it. And, you know, so I, I had met a guy called a price mentor and I was like, Brian, what will I price this at? And he had lost his mum and he had kind of said, you don't know how much I'd pay for this book for oh. a brown bread recipe. Do you know, there's a section in it for, it, it's broken into two sections. So the first section is all about kind of um, your own childhood and like, what did you play with as a kid? What did you get for Christmas? Did you have any traditions? And then it moves into the relationship between the person and whoever the book is for. And it's like, what will I do if I'm, if I miss me, where will I go? What's your top Spotify list that I can put on if, if yeah. I need to get close to just things that it, it just bridges the gap between and it helps with the grief it helps yeah. with the grief of the person that's dying and also the person that's left behind can it be a difficult conversation to have and and I ask that from the perspective of we'll say if you have a child whose parent is getting older and they would love to do something like that with their yeah. parent but they don't really want to, to broach the subject is there yeah. a sensitive way of doing it yeah, I did. I did a talk in Tuesday recently uh, with with the students, and they they have a loss and grief group. And I, my attitude to that is, if you don't have the conversation, you'll never know. Yeah. Of course, conversations around death and dying are hard, but they have to be. Like talking about death and dying is not going to make us die any quicker. Just like mm. talking about sex is not going to make us pregnant. We need to have the conversation. Yeah. As a culture in Ireland, we're great at having wakes and funerals, but we're not we're not good at the in between part. And yeah. like. Things are evolving now. Women are having birth plans. People should have death plans of like, this is what I want. And um, so it takes the pressure of people left behind. But the books itself, I when I was developing it for Carmel, I developed a parent book. And then from doing the studies, I was like, God, I can't just single out just parents. Not everybody's mm. a parent. So I developed a sibling edition, a friend edition, and a partner edition. And they're all different questions. So um, they're just, they're just gorgeous little books to have left behind and kind yeah. of feedback that I'm getting from people that have parents that are, are at end of life are they've left them the book, they fill them out and, you know, they nominate somebody to hand the book out for after I've gone. So they're just nice to get and they're nice to just pick up and put down when you need to. If you're having a bad day of grief, you can pick up and read a little yeah. a little poem in them. It's filled with poems and artwork from kind of people around my county and stuff. And it's just um, a and, connection, and isn't it? It's a connection back. It is. It's keeping that bond alive yeah. between, you know, just because somebody dies doesn't mean their stories have to go with them either. Yeah. You know, at least they can they can pass them on to their children if they're not born as well, going, well, this is what Nanny used to do or, 
Yeah. Like this was her favourite dinner. Let's go to this restaurant. So. Yeah, it's a beautiful idea, Joanne, and well done on it. And anyone Thanks who's looking for much. more information on it, where can they go? You can get it on my website, www.foraftereyesgone.com. Perfect. And we'll have those details online. Joanne, great to talk to you and all the best. Super. Thanks so Thanks much. Thanks a million. Happy New Year. Bye bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to the final hour of Thursday's Tip Today. Delighted on a Thursday to be joined, as always, by Muriel Cuddy, our health expert. Muriel, good morning. Morning, And Happy New Year. Yes, we're back. How was Christmas? Uh, I got sick. Oh, no, not you as well. The same as everybody else, The fluish thing. Oh, Christmas night, literally. It was absolutely fine until I downed tools. And the minute the pyjamas went on to stay on... All of a shot, uh, I was hit like a ton of bricks. At least yeah. you got the dinner out of the way. Well, yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. Oh, no, was it the flu thing? Totally, yeah. Just knocked sideways and yeah. still knocked mm. sideways with it. And like, I love to hit the new year. Yeah. Like with the ground running that I'm flying. But I'm not flying this week. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just mind yourself. I feel that as well. It? The body is tired and yeah. I still feel congested. Yes, yeah. All of that is all yeah. still there. And like, I'm normally a million miles an hour by the 3rd or 4th of January like decorations down houses yeah. done back at work I've no decorations down yet mine only came down yesterday oh. like mine are normally down like a couple of days after Christmas and the yeah. boys are looking at me thinking she's definitely not with it she's <laughs> definitely not right but anyway we'll get there and like we that's will. one of the things isn't it? I'm listening to you during the week and like people are saying be kind to yourself and you know the New Year's resolutions and all of that yeah like just pull back a little like because it is peak time for this I'm this is January now I'm getting healthy I'm going to the gym I'm on a diet yeah. but like is that the wrong approach or is well, it the right approach it's 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 no that's the wrong approach is in I've had so many phone calls this week right and I'm answering the phone myself this week and it's funny because normally it's weight loss weight loss weight loss and like we're booked out in relation to weight loss for January but the phone calls I'm getting are blood results are bloods can I get my blood done, Muriel? Um, I feel miserable. My energy levels are on the floor. Yes, I got through Christmas or whatever. Didn't overdo it even too much in food. I'm getting this from a lot of people, mm. but I feel really miserable. Yeah. What do I need to do? So that's what I want to talk about today because there are so many different things like, like what sugar can do within the body and what different things can do. So for me, it's a softer approach, but it's more, what would you say, more hands-on approach. So don't tear off into the gym. Maybe go and get your blood done. Maybe go and get some sort of a body analysis report done. Maybe let somebody sit down with you and say, right, OK, these are the steps you need to take. Mm. Let's do it gently. Let's take it a day to a week at a time. And by the end of January, like that's what we've 28 days or 27 days left in January. Yeah. If we can do it that way and you start feeling a little bit better every single day, by the end of January, you're coming into February in a much better place. And then for me, if you want to join a gym or you want to go out and beat up the roads and do all that kind of thing you're in a better headspace yeah. and the weather is getting a bit better and why is it that it's always this time of year that people have that kind of crisis of health or crisis of well-being well I think we eat so much over Christmas don't we and like December is looking forward to all the different things that are coming mm. and then you're hitting January and it's a new year and like I think it's what is is the trepidation what's the word I'm looking for Everybody's it's like the fear yeah. Yeah. yeah of like I need to be doing 50 different things like I'm maybe I'm 30 this year maybe it's 40 maybe it's whatever but you're thinking in your head like I should be doing things 
Like, should you be doing things? You know, yeah. I think the most important thing that pe- people should be doing in January is minding themselves. Mm. That for me is the biggest piece because if the immune system goes down, and we hear that so many times, like COVID and all the different, the minute the immune system goes down, you're wide open to getting everything. Yeah. And the minute you start getting things, your immune system takes so much longer then to come back up again. So you've got to be well. That's the number one. You've got to be well. Mm. And that's why today I brought blood, a blood result report with me, Ali. Because they can be hard to read and understand, yes. can't they? Yes. And what's in the blood result, that's literally what I look for as a number one. So if you see, it starts off there with kidney profile. So again, so I'm that's finding, urea, is it? That's your urea creatine, right. that, that, that part of it. I'm finding a lot of different parameters out here. So there's inflammation in the body, dehydration, um, somebody's on a really high protein diet. So that's another thing. This time of the year, we pick up diets like social media. Yeah. Is it intermittent fasting? Is it like the keto diet? All of these different things. Don't take these on unless you know where your health markers are at. Like I had a lady that came to me about three weeks before Christmas. Really good. Said she was on a really like strict, good diet or whatever, doing everything right in the gym, all of that piece. Um, and she said to me, will you do my bloods and do whatever and let, let me see where I'm at? When the blood res- results came back, I had to ring her literally within 24 hours. Her kidney markers were through the roof. Really? Her uric acid, which is another inflammatory marker in the body, was through the roof. Um, what, what else was elevated? Blood sugars are fine. There was three or four different things. Her cholesterol was elevated, right? When I delved deeper into her diet, she was on a, um, a keto diet. So she was on a high-protein diet, which had a lot of saturated fat. So number one, the saturated fat was affecting her cholesterol levels. She was 57, I think. The um, acidic nature of the diet she was on was affecting her kidney profile um, wow. and also the uric acid profile. And her hydration levels were on the floor. So her electrolyte uh, imbalance was out and it was all purely down to the diet that she was on, right? At a certain age, our body can process certain things, you know, and then different body types can process different things. So that was her. Within two weeks, you just, you couldn't believe it. She came back down two weeks, done the blood results again, right? Within two weeks, her uh, kidney profile was back to normal. Uric acid was back to normal and her cholesterol had dropped by, I think she was 6.7, it was down to like 6.1 or whatever, her total cholesterol, Mm. right? So that was only two weeks of... Changing things around to bring yeah. it, and all I done was brought her back to normal. So I would said, that indicate that keto, like all diets, I suppose they're not going to suit everybody. No, not no, totally not. And like, n- no diet that's like, what would you say, restrictive, is going to suit the body yeah. in the long term anyway. Like the body is made to take in like certain certain amounts of food. Like we need a certain amount of plants. Like mm. we need fruit, veg, whatever. We need a certain amount of carbohydrates to be well and healthy, you know, yeah. and it's the good ones. But why is fasting so good then when that's really restrictive? No, so fasting, it depends on the person as well. Right. And I spoke in detail about to Fran about this um, just a few weeks before Christmas. Intermittent fasting doesn't work for people like, say, you and me at, at our age profile. Yeah. Not saying you're younger than me. Well, I'm not, I'm not young, Muriel. No. But you know the hormone piece. So when yeah. the hormones start kicking in at all, perimenopausal, heading into the menopause, intermittent fasting doesn't work. Right. We need like a steady state of three decent meals a day. You need to keep everything on a, a, a decent level um, playing field, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like you don't get the sugar dips, you don't get the highs and the lows and all of that. Intermittent fasting works, yes, most certainly for, say, um, type 2 diabetic, um, uh, cardiac profile, people that have parameters that are wrong. To reduce or limit their food for a certain level length of time during the day does work. Mm. And all the research in that is there. But it depends on how you do it and how long you're doing it for. And the other thing is, intermittent fasting works for a lot of people because people like to drip feed we like to snack yeah. and it stops all of that so you know if you're fasting you can't put food into your body so it stops you eating even more of the wrong stuff than the right stuff to yeah. be honest and that's why it works for more people than say if you're healthy and you eat three decent meals a day 
you honestly don't need to intermittent fast, you yeah. know, because everything is going to be where it needs to be. I do love a fast, though, but the fa- the hardest part of the fasting is the first meal you have afterwards, because then you just turn into a glutton That's and you want everything. You That's yeah. the problem. And if you can do it, and I the first two ladies I did yesterday, if they're listening, like I have to, like a massive boulevard, like one of the girls lost nine pounds from the first of December, like wow. to yesterday over or Christmas. Over Christmas, well done. And the other girl has four stone, four just under four stone. Um, lost since this time last year. Wow. So she was 13 stone last January and she's nine stone something this January. So just have to give them a massive whatever. But yeah, the intermittent, come back to intermittent fasting, that meal, these girls have gotten it right as in, um, when they break the fast or whatever, one of them, she's younger and she's doing the intermittent fast piece, she's able now to make sure she sits down to a really good meal that's prepped. Mm. So she'll sit down to her chicken, her potatoes, her veg, whatever it is, but she'll prep. It might be stir fry, it might be whatever, but she'll have loads of really good food in it. Yeah. She's full after that, you know, and then she can have a dessert or she can have whatever she wants after that, but she knows how to eat now. Yeah. Um, and because she's doing it consistently well or consistently for what habits are huge, Ali, habits are huge. That's the consistency piece. Two words I use all the time, every single day, even with the kids, consistency and discipline. They're the two words. If you can get that piece right, the habits then eventually form that you don't want to go back and do the other piece wrong. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. 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 So to keep it, uh, to keep the consistency going. To go through the blood results then, we've, we've is that cre- creatinine? Cre- creatine, yeah. Creatine. Yeah. So the first three is your kidney profile. Okay. Right? Then we move down along and there's about seven parameters in your liver, right? So with the liver profile, I'm seeing a lot of parameters out here as well. So non-alcoholic fatty liver has tripled in the space of the last three or four years. Wow. Okay. And non-alcoholic fatty liver. So when I say to somebody, your liver results are wrong, they nearly die and they say, oh, well, I don't drink. Or I drink like once a week or whatever. It's not the alcohol side. It's the processed diet side. Right. And it is, our liver isn't able to cope. Like it just can't process the rubbish that's coming through it. So that side is huge. Gamma GT, dehydration, etc. So that's the liver piece. If the liver piece is wrong, I most certainly get the cholesterol level wrong then because the, like our uh, cholesterol is um, mopped up and absorbed in our liver. So our HDL mops up and absorbs the bad cholesterol and triglyceride side in the liver, right? So you can picture if the gut is wrong and the gut is under pressure, right? And it's it's the wrong foods are going in or whatever, that's going across to your liver. Yeah. So then the liver is going to be under pressure, right? So the liver leads to the cholesterol. So those two are normally out, right? Down along then we go to your sugars. So blood sugars... I often don't get blood sugars being elevated with cholesterol. I'll either get the blood sugar elevation piece or I'll get the cholesterol elevation oh, piece. Okay, I thought they go hand in hand. They don't really. They don't really, which is, you know, you, you would you would think it's strange, but it seems to be somebody either has like a high saturated fat diet or they have the high sugar diet, right. you know, but it doesn't seem to be both at the, at the same time. Yeah. And then you see the minerals there, like you have potassium, um, calcium, magnesiums, uh, a lot of magnesiums on the floor lately. You know, when your magnesium is low, we know how many different different bits and pieces of the body that that drives cracked mm. like muscle spasm all of those things you know your feet driving you mad at night cramps all of that that's a huge deal the next one then is C-reactive protein so C-reactive proteins on the next page um, that's an inflammatory mark in relation to uh, cardiovascular disease but if you have um elevated um, C-reactive protein markers, it doesn't have to be. Um, it can actually be that there is a high level of inflammation in the body. Now, most of the time it's supposed to be under five. I'm getting 14s and 19s. Really? Yeah. Now, the big thing about markers like that, like that and uric acid, they drop really fast. If you change your lifestyle and change your diet, these markers come down like within yeah. the space of a month, you'll see a really big difference. And can you tell where the inflammation is from the blood test? Most of the time for me, I can tell where the inflammation is from the lifestyle. 
so it's literally once I sit some, somebody down and I go through it because you have another report there have you or have I have here this one you see the body analysis report yeah so the body analysis report links directly with the cholesterol or the, the blood blood report right so if you have high cholesterol you're going to have a high level of visceral fat so visceral fat is internal. So even slimmer people can have a high level of visceral fat if they have a high saturated fat diet or they're eating a lot of sugar, right? Is the visceral fat the one around the tummy? Yeah, internally. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm getting so many of them lately and I'm getting, and that's so hard to try and move. So I could get visceral fat levels. Some I'm, are up like at 24 and 25. You see that one there, like it's down in the green or whatever. But mm. even if it's at 11 or 12, I have to see that moving because when I see that moving, I know we've switched on your metabolism. I know the health markers inflammation is starting to drop. I know the body is starting to become more well and more healthy. So like even without doing the bloods, if there's a high level of visceral fat, you know straight away somebody's lifestyle is wrong. You know yeah. that their food intake is wrong. The other one on that one there, which links in with the bloods again, is the hydration status. You see that at the very bottom. Mm. So again, the hydration yes. for people is a huge one. And this is the time of the month for me that I see all of these parameters are out in people, right? So if your hydration level is on the floor, we've spoken about this so many times, you can't control, like your, your body temperature can't regulate itself, like your, your cholesterol, your blood pressure, every single thing, like the sugar within the body, nothing can um, function properly if your hydration status is on the floor. Your electrolyte imbalance is going to be out. You're going to feel more tired. You're going to feel more unwell. You're going to feel more anxious and more stressed and everything under the sun. So like simple things for me would be if you can up your water, if you can reduce your sugar, if you can eat three meals a day for the next month or so that are decent meals, you know, that you, you're, you're getting your... Like mammy dinners. Do you know proper, the way we call... Yeah, I say it all the time. Like, yeah. to simplify it. So instead of beating yourself up, yes, of course you have the treat. Like, it's still 80-20. Like, don't go on anything mad. Porridge, wheat bicks, eggs, brown bread, something like that at breakfast time and have a breakfast. So you're going out the door. It's miserable. It's rotten. It's cold. Go out the door hungry. You're going to be miserable. By 11 o'clock, you are going to have your head stuck in any basket of scones or yeah. whatever you pass, whatever you want. You're going to literally feel like be shoveling it in. Uh, by lunchtime, you're having something decent again. If it's only just a bowl of soup and brown bread, but it's something decent and wholesome. Like mm. it isn't the time of the year for salads. People say to me, you know, even bread and sandwiches, you can have a really nice brown bread sandwich. Yeah. Like tuna, salmon, chicken, eggs, avocado, loads of greenery, whatever, you know. Do one decent shop a week. So like, yes, everything's gone through the roof when it comes to food or whatever. But if you're eating out like one takeaway in a week is 70 or 80 euro. Easily, yeah. It's crazy. It's stupid. Mad. Like if you have going to a filling station or a deli or whatever, like what are you spending? You're not going to come out without spending 10 or 12 euro yeah. if you're buying food, you know. So like if you add all of that up, one decent shop, like spend, say, 200 euro or whatever, minus 250 probably mm. a little bit with it but if I do a decent shop that shop will do us for the week yeah. so like if there's plenty of chicken and turkey and all the bits and pieces there I buy tins of tuna I buy things that I can have in the end of my handbag buy your nuts buy all those bits and pieces there's your lunch covered have and you a tin of tuna in the bottom of your handbag <laughs> have you we have a couple yeah Muriel, do I you? Know, the know. weight of that handbag. I know, I know, I know. There's everything in my handbag. would turn it upside down. <laughs> but tuna and nuts for me would be two of the big ones. Yeah. Yeah, because like nuts, people have a fear of nuts. Again, nuts are really good fat. Like it's an essential fat. They just feel very claggy in the mouth or something, no, don't they? No, the body burns it immediately. Right. The body craves essential fat. So like if you're eating eggs, avocado, tu avocado tuna, fish, um, nuts, things like that, like the body will burn that immediately. Yeah. That's your brain health. Like the neuroinflammation that goes on in the body, like, and we wonder why we feel unwell. We don't get these proper foods into us. Mm. And then your mammy dinner in the evening. Yeah. yeah. Be it a stir fry. Be it like something really simple. My 14 year old rang me yesterday and he wanted me to talk him through how to cook spuds. Can I say spuds potatoes yeah. in the air fryer? Um, and he said to me, I just want spud and beans, ma'am. There's no one here to give me any. <laughs> whatever. Oh, the poor child. <laughs> he cooked him. 
and he'd done them and I got like five different video calls right but like you can't go wrong with food like oh, that yeah. so like he had that at lunchtime yesterday he was fine then like normally when I come in the door he's shouting at me like where's dinner where's dinner we're starving we're whatever you know did you bring anything but like something as simple as that even in the evening time when you come in from work yeah. he had it cooked at 14 in the space of 10 minutes Fair like, play to 15 him. minutes or whatever yeah well you, you needs must isn't it Ali yeah, if you <laughs> live with me if you want God's sake I wouldn't mind that so yeah, that's kind of diet done yeah. right what about exercise then you don't need to be rushing to the gym then in January do you no you don't need to be rushing to the gym but can I just run through a piece here right as to how quickly the body can heal itself mm. right so new stomach cells literally every three to five days so if you can cut the sugar and cut the rubbish your stomach is going to be back within three to five days uh, new skin every four weeks oh new red blood cells which is your immune side every three to four months a new liver every two years Okay. A new liver. A new liver every two years. A whole new body every seven years. And a new skeletal system every decade. So, like, the body is incredible. It'll heal, it'll repair, it'll regenerate. But you've got to find the root cause of if you feel unwell and you feel miserable. I, I put a post up, I'd say, about two months before Christmas in relation to sugar. It got 60,000 views. And I'd say about 2,500 comments. And it was literally like, you shouldn't feel tired. You shouldn't feel anxious. You shouldn't feel stressed. You shouldn't be miserable. You shouldn't crave the wrong foods. You should be able to sleep or that earlier on. You should be able to sleep at night. You should have energy to get out and go for a walk. Mm. So there's about seven things that I put up on it. The body is able to do all of those things. If we can just take a step back and say to ourselves, right, okay, where do I need to start? So going to the exercise piece, right? So the exercise piece for me is massive, right? If a woman, um, an obese woman, exercises every day, she'll live longer than the person that doesn't exercise. Right. It's really, really important that we exercise. The same with a man. Man, if you don't um, exercise, you, do, you will die sooner. For every hour of exercise we do, we add three hours onto our life. Wow. Like, that's massive. Yeah. So I'm not talking about you're going off out running the road. You're not. You're literally like, you take the stairs. Like, don't ever take a lift unless you're lift, lifting heavy boxes. You leave the car, like the two or three car parks away that it's whatever. Just do the simple things first. Mm. They're the simple things. And then do 20 minutes. You know, and people say it's, it's miserable or whatever. I have a lot of people that come into me that haven't exercised in a while. Or there might be injuries or there might be hips or knees or whatever. Or they might be just self-conscious to actually put on a high-vis jacket and go out and walk the roads or whatever. It's two that I say walk around the house. Walk up and down your avenue. Do mm. 20 minutes until you're slightly out of breath. Or buy a skipping rope. So if you're able to move to that extent, a skipping rope is like just fantastic. Yeah. If you only do 10 skips and then you're on 100 and then you're on 200, you're out the back and nobody sees you. Even use your like your, your back doorstep, your whatever. Just do 20 minutes. But the secret to it is you have to be slightly out of breath. Right. So you can't hold a conversation or a proper conversation with somebody. So if you're slightly out of breath for that 20 minutes and you do 20 minutes seven days a week, that adds up over time and you mm. can increase it as the weather gets better. Because a lot of people will join the gym and it's very expensive and like I, I hate the gym and I, a lot of people it's hate It's intimidating. The gym. That's the thing about the gym. You're yeah. either a gym person or you're not yeah. and it is intimidating and you walk in there and people are lifting weights and they're running on treadmills and they all seem to know what they're doing and they're all banging away with they their headphones look amazing. on and yeah, all in their gear and whatever yeah. it is. No, I think if you're in the space that you're just starting out for me and for the mental health side, yeah. I think to get yourself outside now that the sun is starting to come out again and the sky is there, like one of the biggest things here we don't we don't get is vitamin D. Like vitamin D is massive. Mm. Like we got two different messages from people in Spain over Christmas, you know, Kyle is out there or whatever. And like they were sending us um pictures, you know, was it Stevens's day or the day after? They were out walking with the dogs. 
like with short sleeves and whatever. We don't get that here in Ireland. Yeah. So we have to get it from somewhere else. The first place you get it from is your food. So you literally try and eat as well as you can. The second place is get off your backside and get outside. So even if you walk outside the door and walk to the wall and walk back again, the fact that you're actually getting blue sky and sunlight um, into the body mm. and on the body is going to make you feel better straight away. Yeah. Muriel, a listener is wondering, the lady that lost the four stone, had she exercise also? In the beginning, we didn't because I don't put anybody under pressure. So in the beginning, I had to go through her lifestyle. She hadn't done anything for a very long time. And her, her the education piece on food for me was the number one. So to actually work with her in that piece. So we started very softly. So we'd done about three to four weeks of that. And I had to see that her markers were starting to come down, that it was working. Her metabolism was completely switched off. She literally, even if she had been eating nothing, it wasn't going to work for her. Wow. You know, this thing of you eat nothing all week long and send up in the yeah. scales on a Friday and you have pound weight on. And you're looking to yourself thinking, Lord Almighty, like, where am I going? That's where she was at. She had done every so-called conventional diet under the sun, I'd say, Ali, for about 10 years. So she was in a state and she mm. said, if this doesn't work this time, I'm absolutely at nothing. Oh, but um, we switched on in metabolism. So that took us about a month. And when we got that working, then for me, it was about, right, let's get the runners on now. And, and it was all very softly. Like, yeah. I don't, wouldn't, like, you don't do what you're not able to maintain for life. That's, That's the thing. literally, yeah. 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 Another listener saying, um, I gave up drink for Christmas, which I was very fond of. I bought milk thistle dandelion artichoke. Ask Muriel how and when I use them. Yeah, so I take them in the morning. So the milk thistle, I love milk thistle in, in like the, I just use the drops in water in the morning. Um, be very careful with things like this. So they're great and use them in the morning, you know, before breakfast or whatever. Be careful anyone that's on blood thinners or anything like that. So if you're on any medication, make sure you ask your doctor before you just go and take, go and take any herbs because herbs are the same supplements. Like they can mm. have an adverse effect on the body as, as a good effect. One of the other things is, um, which is a big deal, well done that person that gave up drink over Christmas um, to drink things instead of drinking tea now at this time of the year drink green tea or drink chamomile tea it's horrible tea or, though Muriel no, but if you drink something like that you're not going to reach for the biscuits because yeah, you know the true. way it goes you with like a tea and biscuit and the same tea. with the wine and stuff like if you open wine you're going to want something with the wine yeah. so that person that gave up the alcohol I bet their food was 10 times better yeah. you know than what it would have been so just to make even with the coffee like give up the lattes and the cappuccinos and like they're a treat they should that's they were only ever made to be a treat so like if you're standing outside a coffee shop in the morning and you're going to put a bucket full of milk with sugar and god knows what into you and think that it's your breakfast and think it's switching you on for the day you're like in fool's paradise get can your you, ordinary black coffee if you want but can you ever get to like green tea I like green tea, but Do I leave you? it go cold. Yeah, I don't really. Do you know the best thing you can drink at this time of the year? Boil the kettle and just drink cool boiled water. So literally have your kettle. Do you know the way people are like, so you've got your bottle of water there beside you and mm. you're looking at the bottle of water and like... It's full be, though, Muriel. Well, that's something like, yeah. you probably have been swimming. I know, swimming I see your eyes judging. But you've probably been after swimming and everything this no, morning. No, I have a kettle of Red Bull there beside it. I see, wasn't even going right. to mention that. That was Fran now. I would have held him to account immediately. <laughs> literally. But when you're looking at bottle of water like that, it's really daunting. Whereas like if you're at home or you're in the office, if you have a kettle, I always say to people at this time of the year, fill the cup. So yeah. just have a cup of cool boiled water. And yeah. stay filling the cup. So even if you just boil the kettle in the morning and you boil it again at lunchtime, it's the best thing your system can have because our stomach likes to stay around 17 degrees. It doesn't like cold stuff. So if you drink like six or seven cups of water a day instead of your cups of tea or instead of trying to drink that, straight away you're flushing out your system. Straight away you're switching you your metabolism on. You just give me on. a flashback there. My mother used to, she'd fill up a small glass of water and leave it on the window. 
yeah. for about maybe 20 minutes and then, and then drink, drink it. Fill it again yeah. and have it there. Because her body was able for it. Yeah. So she knew exactly what her body was able to take. And like we again hit a certain age, probably about 40. Our stomach likes to stay like, you know, at that 17 degrees it or whatever. It doesn't like so any shock. It doesn't like shocks. No, yeah. and the other thing is if you want to put a tiny drop of lemon into it. So again, you know, the alkaline and... Um, acidic piece yeah so after Christmas we're definitely like the bodies are so much more acidic and if you're feeling miserable it's definitely more acidic if you can just put that tiny drop of lemon or even your apple cider vinegar into it it alkalizes so it brings mm. it back to that pH of 7 so straight from internally just doing one or two things you're going to start feeling a little bit better that you won't reach for the wrong stuff if that yeah. makes sense Yeah. now we only have a couple of minutes left you brought our favourite thing that we oh, always love the, the poo chart we you love see I'm chart. leaving Fran off the hook early early <laughs> January because poor Fran goes red when I give him the boo chart. So take a look there, Ali. I hope you won't ask me to identify which one I am, are you? I'm just going to do oh that. God, Muriel, don't. But I mean, you're at the time of year where it's not, you're not going to be at your regular anyway, no, are you? No, but you need to know what your regular is. Do That's I really the biggest thing. Say. Like, like some people would say to me, what's it supposed to be like? Is it like, no, you don't. Is it like you porridge? Don't want is seven. it like, all you've got to do, no, you don't want seven. No, all you've got to do is like go be in the middle piece. So like if, if you're online at all, guys, look up the Bristol stool chart, right? You need to be in around the middle. It needs to be like a sausage. It needs to come out in one go, right? Yeah. It needs to kind of be consistent and soft, not like like little rabbit's balls. Yeah, like the type one now is, we'll say like goat poo, I'd call yeah, it your like sheep goat poo. poo. Yeah, yeah, literally. And then the last one like is watery, water. like diarrhea. Yeah. So it's supposed to be consistent enough. Is there a time of day you should go? Is there how many times during the week you should yes. go? No, everybody is different. Right. You can be consistent every single morning at a certain time and you do it every single day. If that changes, that inconsistency means there's something happening within your gut. Your gut doesn't like it. Um, we did the very smelly fart piece, if you remember I before do. Christmas. That piece shouldn't be there. So if there is the something going on with your gut, could be too much fibre in your diet. So if you start eating this time of the year, loads of porridge, loads of brown bread, you know, loads of fibrous plants and that kind of thing. If you start getting really gassy, you need to cut that back a little, right? Okay. So all of these, are, our bodies are designed to give us signs and signals. So when our body doesn't feel well, things like smells, things mm. like the wrong poo, things like the wrong colour urine, as in it should be, you know, like kind of a straw colour for all the world, yeah. a smell off your urine, not feeling in the best, they shouldn't be there. So if you have any aim at all for this month of January, literally, try and get these kind of things right so that you'll feel so much better coming into February. Muriel, anyone who's looking to contact you, how can they do that? Yes, so it's 5261 or www.marito8020.com. We got a text in from Lister. I'm having a coffee and two chocolate biscuits and it's lovely. <laughs> well done. Oh, I no saw comment. her cringe. I saw her cringe, Lister. That Thanks was probably that. Fran. Probably was Fran. Thanks, Muriel. <laughs> Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Joe from Thurlis was on to us. He said, baked potatoes in the air fryer, 40 to 50 minutes, add butter, salt, pepper, excellent. The air fryer and the air code are the two greatest inventions of all time for truck drivers. That's from Joe. Thanks for that, Joe. Happy New Year to you. Uh, keep those texts and Calls coming into us this morning. Text or WhatsApp 083 311 or 1800 938007. I read out a text from Donal earlier. Uh, Donal was talking about the batteries in the electric vehicles and it totally went over my head. He was saying that they need to be replaced by a zero point module to make them more effective. Now, he went on to explain that. He said the zero point module was proposed by Nikola Tesla 
and he claimed that he could pull so much energy from one cubic metre of air or space that he could boil all of the world's oceans and turn them into steam. That's from Donald. Thanks for that, Donald. I think I listened to a podcast about Tesla before. It was amazing. I might have to do it for my conspiracy files maybe someday um, and what he um, discovered when it comes to... Um, I suppose power generation and all of that thing but uh, yeah we'll put that on the back burner it's on the list for the conspiracy polls we'll look into it a bit more thanks for that uh, Emma's standing by on the phones as well 1800-938-007 now for this week's Down Your Way Eamon is in Grange he spoke to local resident Frank Mogler about his family history and life as a young man the Mogler's were here Cromwell Hunters up from Grange Mogler in 1640 and were here since and uh, I have now got, I have 13 grandchildren, that's 14 generations of Moklers here. And occasionally coming from Mass or the Mart, a man might say to me, how did the Moklers last so long in Tullus? I always give them all the same answer. We lasted, I said, because a more odd or awkward breed you could not meet. And that's what keeps you there when lads want to get rid of you. So you seem to get on well together, did you? We got on fine, absolutely fine. Yeah. And so famines and pestilence and we kept the faith and we were fine. But in any event, Em, you're welcome here. And it's it's your first time being in Grange. And, of course, it's a first time for everything. And the great example of that in my life, I was about 10. And the Boggan Haley, a very famous man up there in that Cortnahoo country, a neighbour bought an ass from the Boggan for a pound or 30 bob. He wanted the ass to go to the creamery. And coming home after three or four mornings, the ass lay down on the road and died. And the farmer went back with fire in his eyes back to the Boggan. They said to him, the hash has sold me, he said... He lay down this wall and come to the creamery and died on me. Well, said the bargain to him, he never did that with me, he said. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good, good stories and all that. Talk about growing up years here in, in Grange. Yeah. Did you actually grow, grow up in Grange? Oh, I did. And I went, to, I, I went to school. I was the first boy that went to school in the Ursuline Convent. My mother, my mother, who was of the Colin Everard breed, a lot more woman, and uh, she was a boarder in the Ursuline. And my Aunt May Mokler had been. Uh, very friendly with the nuns there as well. Now, whether I didn't do it, I couldn't tell you. But I went there until I got my first Holy Communion. And then, in 1940, I went to the CBS, where many generations of Moklers had been before me. Absolutely. But I'm going to take you back. How many Moklers had been grown up here, brothers and sisters? Oh, well, I, did, I only had two sisters. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't have any brother. Okay. If I had, I might have had a softer way through this planet a bit. But anyway, I, I never any brother. I had two sisters, Evelyn and Maureen. And they both went to the but they're both dead now, regrettably. Mm-hmm. Evelyn died the day I was 80 and uh, Maureen died with cancer of the esophagus in 1996. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but that was it. But anyway, I left then. I went up to the CBS to Christian uh, Brothers in Tullis where so many generations of mortals had gone before. They're there now for over 200 years, the CB, the Christian Brothers. A much maligned group of men in a way, but I often wonder where would we all have got such a free and good education if they hadn't been there? Mm-hmm. And, of course... Uh, t- of course, there have been a lot of stories and talks about uh, what happened in the Brothers over the years, but we probably won't go into that well, one. Well, I can't. I have in time, though. But I know all belong to me went there and all belong to my dad and my grandfather and... I never heard anything wrong about the Christian Brothers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but interestingly, in third class, in the old Christian Brothers school, this was the year Scholielby was only being built. In third class, the shed in the middle of the schoolyard, there were 64 of us in that class. 
I have a beautiful photograph of that class. There was a, there's 57 in the photograph, and a man down the road, Willie Keenan and myself, we could name the seven that were missing. But the reason I have the photograph, and it's on the star once or twice, because it's absolutely brilliant, was because 13 of them got their confirmation in that class that time, because those boys were two and three years older than us. And back then, confirmation was only every three years. And the danger was that they'd be gone altogether before confirmation would come around again. Mm-hmm. But we had two fabulous hurlers in that class, hurlers. We had the inimitable Jimmy Doyle and the irrepressible Michael Murphy. Jimmy Doyle was so gifted. When he was in that class, he, he started doing things with the ball we thought couldn't be done at all at all. He was just... The, I had two idols in my life, mm-hmm. Jimmy Dyle in sport and Michael Purcell in the cattle trade. Absolutely. But I'm going to bring you back to that class, right. six, 64. Yeah. Young lads, were they all in the one classroom? Yeah, well, and Brother Stein, yes, absolutely. And Brother Steiner was teaching us, a lovely man. And uh, the following year, they split us in two halves. I mean, the class, the numbers. Mm-hmm. And uh, Brother, the man who took that photograph was the Brother Chisholm. And he was teaching us in fourth class. Mm-hmm. And that was the year then. After Easter in fourth class, we went up to Skull Elby. Yeah. Was there an A and a B? There was, of course. Yeah, okay. There was an A and a B. Mm-hmm. And we went up to fourth class. And who was teaching the B class was Danny Mayer, Jack and Kevin Mayer's father. Mm-hmm. Danny, old Danny Mayer. And uh, brother, brother Chisholm was teaching us. We went up to Skull Elby. And I can tell you, Eamon, I can tell you, Skull Elby was such... We didn't know ourselves. Terrazzo floors, long timber corridors, desks for two, big blackboard, and, if you don't mind me saying, the cloakroom, and the toilets were such a relief. We had a little... We had a a lovely little limestone field to play hurling in, and Jimmy Dyle to show us how. What more could we ask for? We really enjoyed ourselves. And isn't that lovely? That's Frank Mokler there speaking to Eamon for this week's Down Your Way. And that will be coming to you on Saturday morning from 10am. That's just a little taste of what you can expect this weekend. Uh, now, national media have picked up on that story from Feathered, as you've heard on Tip FM News throughout the morning. Gardaí now investigating a suspected arson attack on a former national school in Feathered. The former Patrician National School on the Rocklow Road had been empty for a number of years. The alarm raised at 9.20 last night. Three units of the fire service from Clonmel, including a lifting platform together with a water tender from Cashel, fought the blaze, finally extinguishing it shortly after midnight. No injuries, but extensive damage done to the building. Gardaí now investigating and saying it's a suspected arson attack. We were hoping to have someone on the show this morning to discuss this further with us. Unfortunately, we weren't able to get anybody, uh, but it is a story we will be covering again tomorrow morning um, and certainly one that will be developed throughout the day so stay here on Tip FM for more on that uh, throughout the day. Now uh, we're going to speed vans now. Roads issues have been a big topic of discussion for listeners this week and, and we were speaking of course to a listener as well this morning about lights and various issues. Uh, John was in touch with us about concerns about speed vans and he joins me on the line now. John good morning. Good morning, Alison. How are you? I'm good, John. Good to speak to you this morning. The speed van issue for you, I think it's a big gripe for a lot of people and it's where they're placed in their locations. What is it about their location that irks you? This is correct, John. Like, I live on the 
I live on the Nguyen Golden Road, <coughs> just outside the village of Nguyen. There about 800 yards from the church. And um, I've been complaining. So we moved back here. I was reared here in Mallory Hill, but um, we've been complaining since we moved back here maybe five years ago about the speed of the traffic on our road. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wrote numerous emails um, to both the Tipperary Municipal District. Um, I'm unfortunate in the sense that around here we're divided up into three municipal districts, really. There's the care side, which comes up to the village. I'm actually in the Cashel one. Right. And then we're controlled by Tipperary Municipal District, which is ridiculous. Yeah. And um, I've asked them, they came over here about four years ago, they teared our road. All my uncles and local neighbours at the time around Marley Hill, we, we asked for people to put up slow signs on the road and they covered them over. The right. speed on our road is absolutely and uh, terrible. It's it's disgraceful, actually. John, I John, if, if, sorry, John, to interrupt you, but if I have your location right, that, that road, that New England Golden Road, there's a fine straight stretch on that. Is that oh, yeah, where the, the, the worst of the speeding is? Yeah, that's where the worst of speeding is, particularly from... Well, the whole way is from New England to Golden. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous, like... And, um, like, there's an easy limit, right? Sure, I've been nearly swept off the road several times. Gosh. We can't. We used to always walk greyhounds on the road, and there's a lot of greyhounds around here, fellas with greyhounds, people with greyhounds, and people with other dogs. And you can't walk on the road anymore. I'm after. I got shoved into a ditch here about a year and a half ago, Jordan COVID, where myself and my wife were walking towards the village, and a car was being passed out by another car. And another car tried to pass that one out as well at the same time. Oh, my God, John. And he got swept into the ditch. I rang the barracks straight away. The first thing they asked me was, did I get the number of the car? Jesus, I couldn't even, you know. Yeah. I was trying to, you know, it was ridiculous. Now, I'm after the last email. I sent a number of emails. I'm looking at some here. I'm all on record. And I got a reply from, I asked for the the the, the, the speed sign. That were on the road to be put back, and I was told, "Oh yeah, they're being done." Yeah, then they had to get an engineer out to drive our road to see where they were going to put them back. I then I, I was told, "Then I'm not naming names, but yeah. I have all the names." Then I was told by an engineer in Tip Town that, "Oh, they're putting up they're, they're going map and the race course cross now. We'll be down to you. that six months ago. I'm still waiting." Uh, uh, I rang the guards. I emailed the guards. I was told by the guards. Uh, I, I I was told on the second of August here. Uh, I won't mention any names, but yeah. I, I will raise your concern with Sergeant X Y of the Road Police Unit in care with a view to increasing speed checks, starting hmm. checks uh, points, and high visibility patrols on the road from the Winter Golden. I'm living on it. I never saw one. Right. I then got another. I got another email. Then um, let me see what date is this day. Uh, yeah, I got another email then in October. In, sorry, September. Said regards speed and road. With reference to the above, I wish to advise that the Winter Golden Road has been forwarded to Gosted for service uh, for suitable locations for speed cameras and 
uh, detect their operators. This process may take several months. Oh. How many people could... Like, now, our road went through generation change, OK? Yeah. yeah. Before, when we were young, uh, when we were young, there was no traffic on this road, right? Council Fife came out here and tried to tell my uncles and the two houses that they couldn't cross the straight yellow line, white line here. They'd be breaking the law. Mm. Right? When they lined the road, even though to get into our own house. Then the next generation, then there was no children really on the road. Now we have a new generation on this road where there is a world of young children. I can go five houses up from my house here and there's all young children in them houses. And they're all young families that are needed to live in this area, mm. which we're welcome for. There is two speed vans at the other side of New Inn on the New Inn Clonmel Road, at places near Newtown and in Chamberstown, where there is no speed, where you can't speed. And they're sitting there morning, noon, and night doing nothing. And what? they could be on this road here. They're telling me that, oh, that we have to find somewhere to pair. There's a place between me and my next-door neighbour, plenty of room to pair. Yeah. The speed on the two hills here is absolutely terrible. I'm telling you, they'll be all coming looking for votes now shortly. Every one of them, whether they're a sitting councillor or not. And I'll tell you one thing, we got no help, no help from Emily. Now, I'm looking at Guys, with the last couple, I've been ill for the last two months, right? I've been confined to my house for months. Mm. And I've been looking out the road there. The speed and the trucks, the trucks, the cars and the motorbikes. Don't anyone, it's it's unreal. There's one guy in a motorbike who travels twice a day, I've reported it, but twice a day at the same speed, at the same time. And he gets over Rain's Hill over, and he nearly doesn't hit the ground until he gets to the top of our hill here. Yeah. And do you think anything was done about it? No. So <laughs> I don't blame the guards. There was a woman on the road safety authority the other night who was on the news, and she said, and I'm quoting her, that three years ago, before the pandemic, or four years ago, they had 1,500 guards mm. on speed checks. They now have 400. Yeah. Now, that's not the fault of the girls. That's the fault of the government by our ministers, various ministers for justice. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, Alison. I wouldn't be a supporter of the left already. But like, there is the, you, people are wondering why people are leaving government parties. I think you only have to look at it when staunch supporters would, you know, look out my window. Yeah. And say, you know, See the what's girl, going it's on. not the girls' yeah. fault. There's nothing the girls can do. No, yeah. The girls can't do it because they don't have either the resources or the money being yeah. put into it. That's you know? John, now, we're going to have to leave it there. I'm afraid I'm out of time. But look, we'll, we'll take your concerns and we'll put them. I know you've done a lot of work yourself on it, but let's put them to the council. Let's put them to the Gardaí and see where we go on it, OK? I can tell you here now, Alison, you might be hitting your head again a while. But they'll all come here in a month's time or two months' time before me looking for their votes and everything. I know. And I know they needn't bother coming to me. All right, John. Good to talk to you this morning. Sorry Thank to you hear you're going through that. Thanks, John. Okay. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today.
with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. It's, it's time to talk farming now. A news editor of the Farmers Journal, Amy Ford, joins me on the line this morning. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, how are you? I'm good. Good to talk to you this morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, to go through some of the main stories, I suppose, in the Farmers Journal, uh, the first edition of the new year. Uh, the good one, I suppose, good news, uh, weanling bull prices are surging at the moment. Yeah, so this is our analysis of our Merced's data for, for 2023, essentially, and prices for top quality weaning bulls weighing between three and 400 um, kilos last year, jumped by almost €120 Euro a head uh, on 2022 prices, which is a really positive, um, obviously, price lift mm. for anyone selling weanlands. Um, limousine bull weanlands experienced the biggest price lift. Those were up by 178 euro per head between 2022 and 2023. Um, and I suppose these are average prices we're talking about, Ali. So yeah. the the breed, the highest average price then was actually the Belgian Blues at um, they were four. 4.5 cent a kilo for 400 to 450 kilo Wainlands and that's up almost um, that's up sorry 53 cent a kilo or 225 euro ahead on the previous year so you know a positive year in general and I will say that they, the Belgian Blue um, breed did make up a small percentage of the number of Wainlands traded last year like Limousines and Charlies are still dominating the market there with 70% of Wainlands sold in those breeds yeah, no surprise really there. What's interesting as well in this edition is uh, the rural crime survey that was conducted uh, by the Farmers Journal and it shows that trespassing is the main issue facing farmers. Yeah, Ali, so this is, um, we run a survey kind of quarterly at this stage down the Farmers Journal and we, we ask farmers a range of questions, you know, on voting preferences, uh, maybe stuff on the derogation and really what's topical uh, at the minute. And this is before Christmas, obviously in the winter months. Um, the Gardaí will have often said that that's when they see a spike in burglaries or thefts or so on. Um, so we asked farmers what the main issue was facing them when it came to rural crime um, and trespassing came out on top so that's obviously people on your land without, without your permission um, and while, while trespassing was the main rural crime issue for the majority survey there was, there was 1,500 farmers in total took part in the survey and 390 of those which is, is a big survey sample yeah. had said they were impacted by rural crime and one farmer in particular he found that property on his land had been used as a vehicle for drug storage so someone was dropping drugs into a trough for someone else to pick them up essentially um, and that, that's basically the, the main issue. The trespassing was the main issue. Others said, um, you know, hunting with dogs was an issue. Um, machinery theft was an issue for 40% of farmers surveyed. And then um, that it would include quads and so on, trailers. Fertiliser theft, fertiliser, you know, it wasn't cheap over the last yeah. number of years. Um, and then break-ins and power to tool thefts um, completed the top reported instance. Oh gosh, uh, tough uh, to hear I suppose for farmers as well. Uh, good news though I suppose for farmers, there had been fears that there would be some type of NCT style test for tractors but it doesn't look like that's going to go ahead now does it? Yeah, so this tested for tractors kind of dates back originally to around 2018, I think, um, when government brought in new regulations for te the testing of fast tractors. So tractors uh, not used on farms, essentially, around the country. So they are tested every year. We publish the results 
every year, sorry, and we publish the results in the journal um, as and when they come out. Um, but something that had been mooted was that potentially um, farm tractors could be testing like an NCT, but for your tractor instead of your car. Um, now, the Road Safety Authority has told the Farmers Journal that it is unlikely that it will be recommending this mandatory testing um, for farm tractors. Um, and last autumn, really, the, the RSA was considering introducing this again. Um, basically, they told us this week that at present it is unlikely that the RSA will be recommending mandatory test inspections for agricultural vehicles and that it's going to basically uh, the stick to what it's con- con- currently testing, I should say, mm. which is obviously fast tractors which aren't involved in farms. But yeah. um, I suppose it's a relief for farms, farmers in one way because there are a lot of obviously farmers with, with tractors around the country. Yeah, doesn't necessarily rule it out in the future though, really, does it? No, it definitely now. doesn't. Yeah. They're, yeah, they're not recommending it at the time, but they're, you know, I'm sure they will revisit it at a, at a, few, at a future date. Yeah. Amy, finally then for this morning, what is a derogation, of course, and the derogation issue, a huge issue in farming and agriculture last year. What is the latest on that now as we head into the new year? Yeah, I suppose 2023, really, that was the the second half of the year was really dominated by the derogation and the range of maps that were going around and everything. Um, I suppose this year we are looking into the way farmers are from the 1st of January. um, They have basically the year to end up at an average of below 220 kilos of organic nitrogen per hectare. It's been cut from 250 in certain parts of the country and a good chunk of tip, if not all the tip, I think is included Mm. in that. the latest we have is, is is minutes from the nitrates expert group, which is a grouping set up by the Department of Agriculture. It contains people from the Department of Housing um, and other bodies. Um, their latest minutes that we have seen have said that stable water quality trends and sufficient political will will be enough to secure um, a derogation for Ireland post-2025. And they are comments attributed to the European Commissioner for the Environment, um, Virginia Sinkovicius, um, by the Department of Agriculture. Um, and they were at that meeting of agriculture stakeholders last November when he arrived to Ireland for a flying visit on Monday. Um, I suppose this differs from the previous position that um, in order to secure a derogation post-2025, that water quality will have to be good and improving in order for it to be secured. So it's kind of hard to know what way that will work out, but I'm sure that the Commission will set out um, what it's looking for. It has a, a public consultation, an EU-wide public consultation on at the minute on the nitrate derogation or the nitrate directive, I should say, and Ireland is expected to open a public consultation on it and where it will go and what the public wants yeah. from it um, from 2026. So, look, this will be an interesting year from, yeah. the, from the nitrate derogation. I'm sure there'll be plenty more movement on it. Absolutely. It'll, it's a story that will certainly run. Amy, good to talk to you this morning. Thanks so much for that. Thanks. Thank you. That's Amy Ford, their news editor of the Irish Farmers Journal, available now in all good shops near you. That's it for this morning. Uh, thanks for all your calls and texts this morning. Back with you again tomorrow morning from 9. Stephen's up next with the Time Tunnel, the Lunchtime Show, and Owen then take you through the afternoon. Until tomorrow, have a great day. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.